My plan is to make about a 30 second to maybe one minute clip of the highlights of the show, or at least oh, my interpretation of that. Oh, what a cool idea! And then put it at the start. My fingers can't fit far enough down my throat when I hear a lot of these formats. <laughs> It'll blow over, yeah. like 9-11 blew over. What's the word? What kind of sausage? Wild pig. Oh, boar. Okay, I got yeah. you. If a child grew up just with some simple observation about the nature of language, none of this would be possible. Yeah, I'd love to go to those kind of meetups with the scent of gun oil. If you yeah. need to work to eat, you're not going to be going down to Peru for ayahuasca ceremonies. I probably forgot. So. You probably have. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's breakdown and <laughs> creating a reasonable world is even probably going to get nasty here. Oh, yeah. And that was really the very first time when I realized, you know, you just can't say <laughs> whatever the fuck is on your mind in front of a guy who's got a gun. Hello, Heron. So I have quite a bit of notes this evening, which is one of the benefits of being early and having a bit of time in front of my computer. Do you have any topics you'd like to start with? <laughs> well, one, uh, and that's the fact that I, I don't have anything I want to start with. Okay. When you uh, gave, when you said, you know, you had time for notes now, and I thought, well, I'm going to use the same, I'm going to do the same thing. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take some notes. Uh-huh. You know, and, and what do I want to say? <laughs> And you have nothing? <laughs> and I have, well, I mean, nothing really earth-shaking. I mean, all sorts of things come to mind, but, you know, you know. <laughs> so, it's just, you know, uh, it's, it's good that you're running the show here, you know? It's interesting, actually, because I heard this week that the first seven minutes of a podcast are, like, the most important time in order to grab an audience, and I think... Oh, sure, yeah, well, that's true of anything. <laughs> Actually, it's the first 30 seconds, I think. Well, yeah. I'm going to put out to the listeners, I'm interested in changing the format of Stone Age ever so slightly, although it will not affect Heron in any way. My plan is to make about a 30-second to maybe one-minute clip of the highlights of the show, or at least oh, my interpretation of that. Oh, what a cool idea. And then put it at the start. When yeah. It, as you're in agreement with this, Heron, I might try it for this show to start yeah, off with. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. In fact, you could start off with this little clip. Well, <laughs> let's see if we warm up. Maybe if I start off with this clip, you know there's a problem, right? <laughs> but no, I think yeah. I think that might also introduce... Because I was on the Stone Ape Facebook group before I was before we started the call. And what occurs to me is a number of our historical listeners that we previously interacted with and these kind of things are no longer on the Stone Ape Facebook group. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is pretty curious. I mean, they might be off. In fact, many of them are still friends with me. So mm -hmm. it's a natural decision, I think, to leave the Stone Ape Facebook group. So I Apparently. thought... It's not for everybody, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Any change in format might be useful to the podcast just to introduce us to new listeners. Yeah, I think that's a, a good... How, how much... I mean, you can't go too long. What? How much time are you talking about? 30 seconds? I think maybe saying? 30 seconds. Yeah, but one clip or no, whatever works. Yeah. yeah, my feeling is two or three clips. Whatever yeah. works. And yeah. maybe if it goes up to 45 seconds, it's not too much. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. yeah. But certainly not much longer. Than yeah. That. But intro music and, like, interstitial music, this kind of stuff, I don't think we're going to be doing with uh, stuff. Uh, uh, no, no, I think so. Yeah. It's too gendo for us. So. Well, you know, I thought, well, you know, for my, my own visions of doing YouTube and stuff. Oh, uh, yes. I'm... Um, I'm going to use uh, basically uh, Haydn piano trios. Mm -hmm. There's 110 of them or oh, something. Yeah. I don't know how many, but uh, plus three or four movements for each. So there's yeah. plenty to pick from, yes. you know. And uh, But I think I'm going to use that as 
for intro music. Yeah. But you know, for this, I don't know. Yeah, this is a this is a weird. This is unlike any other podcast. Well, I don't know. Is it unlike any other podcast? I think it's pretty unique. I mean, it's certainly been referred to in relatively unique circumstances. I mean, early podcasts were typically two people talking. I mean, they used to have like husband and wife casts. I don't know if these things still exist. They're probably something from yeah, two thousand five through oh. to two thousand eight. But yeah, the the theme of two people talking. And in particular, two dissimilar people talking uh-huh. is something w- which is really like a historic golden age of podcasting kind of thing that we still do. Very few other podcasts do. Most other podcasts, there are, you know, three or four folks chatting. There are at least two pseudonyms in order to make it extra cool and all this kind of stuff. My finger, my fingers can't fit far enough down my throat when I hear a lot of these formats. <laughs> but no, I, we've tried to keep it. I mean, I go back periodically. I listen to the early shows. The audio quality has improved quite a bit in the, you know, five plus years we've been doing this thing. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, we've recorded exclusively over Skype, but some of it's my audio editing techniques and in particular the level of background noise, because if there's a lot of background noise, you know, there's going to be a lot of noise removal and the voices are going to sound compressed and what have you. This is guaranteed not to make it in the first 30 seconds, ladies and gentlemen. So I am... (laughs) (laughs) Or if it is... (laughs) Turn off now. So (laughs) I have a series of topics that are maybe thematic, but also come from a couple of listener-submitted questions that we... or Well, one actually came after the last recording and one... I missed. So I'd like to start with Gunter's question, which is what about exit? Can you elaborate a bit on ways to escape or avoid the caterpillar world? Uh, well, you, you can't. <laughs> you can try really, really hard. Well, no, what you can do is focus on the butterfly and yeah. what you want to be, how you want to get involved with that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the caterpillar is about 98, well, I don't know, maybe 95% of what's going on in the world. Mm. I mean, I suppose you can, and if it's that important to you, I mean, of course you can. You can just go live in the... <laughs> <laughs> live in the mountains. Live the dream, you know? ladies and yeah. gentlemen. But uh, I don't think you can. I think you just have to find some way to accommodate yourself with it in the meantime while we're busy building uh, the butterfly. Yes. I guess my main concern associated with the caterpillar world is it is fundamentally a trap. It's a trap of lies, a trap of misinformation. It's just so completely constructed for something that, you need to create a narrative against if you interact with at all. And I'm very appreciative, actually, that both you and I, through various interpretations of the word hermit, have adopted some of that as, you know, just part of our attitude, I guess, for want of a better term. Yeah, I, I have as little to do with the caterpillar as possible. Mm. But uh, but I can't avoid it completely. Hell, I survive because of it. Mm. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for the caterpillar, I'd be dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I occasionally reflect on that as well. I mean, my perspective is uh, I have a little bit of tenacity and probably could work my way through whatever existed externally, which is one of the things I think about associated with the places that I've lived. That The more places you live, or at least in my case, the more I have a sense of my own survival abilities mm-hmm. – yeah. And I learned that in Vietnam. Yes. <laughs> I only had to go to one other place. Yes. <laughs> but I guess I guess my perspective is educating yourself associated with the butterfly and being focused on the butterfly enables you to 
think very critically associated with the instances where you are in the caterpillar world and where you have to exist yeah. with the caterpillar world. Yeah. And what I find particularly curious, and I really didn't want to raise what has gone on in the past few weeks here specifically, <laughs> because I well, think it's so caterpillar, it's beyond caterpillar. Well, really. but it's still interesting. I mean, it, 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 it well, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, okay. Why don't you start? How do you find? How do you find it interesting? Oh, you mean the France stuff? Yeah. Basically, we're talking about. Oh, I, I think uh, this may be uh, another one of those sort of pivotal points that's going to change a lot of minds. Uh, it'll, it'll blow over yeah. like nine eleven blew over, yeah. sort of. But what? what <laughs> but, I mean, let's get down to specifics here, Aaron. Uh-huh. What aspects of mind changing do you think the past couple of weeks might do in some of the population? Well, I think um, the attitude towards jihadists is is going to is going to change probably. I think there's going to be a lot more willingness to go after them and eliminate them. And that's part of that's part of the but that's not part of the butterfly world. No, I mean, not at I all. guess my perspective. No, oh is, no, yeah. but I mean, it's still part of the world we're living in, and it affects the cat. I mean, it, they're not separable, really. The caterpillar and the butterfly are, yeah. but two aspects of the same being. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's it's important. I mean, the next forty years on this planet are crucial to what's going to, if anything, is going to follow. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think this um, this is probably. Uh, one of the sort of pivotal events that'll be seen that, that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of fervor, you can't argue that you know, particularly the U.S. was more focused, associated with. Let's use the term in quotes here, jihadists. I mean, the enemy in both of these cases are, is an enemy that has been at least partially funded at some yeah, point I understand by the, the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. So yeah. the kind of narrative, particularly the narrative to completely avoid any responsibility associated with these kind of perpetuated enemies <laughs> that have always been partially funded by, you know, U.S. taxpayers at some point in their existence, is really very curious. I mean, what I'm interested in, actually, is cultivating butterfly ideals through this kind of narrative. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, and and especially with children. I mean, really, most adults, I mean, anybody can wake up at any moment. But if you're going to put your attention to changing the world, I think it's got to be focused on young people. Mm. You know, I mean, primarily. I mean, if you get a chance to, you know, (laughs) do something for an old fart, well, that's cool. (laughs) I I guess my perspective also is the term jihadist here. I mean, in Northern Ireland... Well, I was Ireland, trying to avoid uh, Islamic uh, extremism. Well, let's talk about Northern Ireland. I mean, the people yeah. that like to blow things up exist in a wide variety of cultures and a wide variety of ideas. They're typically oh, yes. yeah. well, frustrated Northern young Ireland folk. is a, good, a yeah. good example of Frustrated that. young folk that are corralled by elder gentlemen in order to do these acts. And once you realise it in a kind of generic historical perspective... Yeah. I mean, the Tamil Tigers started the human bomb, and the hu- actually, the Tamil Tigers didn't. No, I'm sure it to- goes back yes. bef- way before yes. we can uh, exactly. talk about. <laughs> but, you know, within modern history, that well, yeah. then you have kamikaze, then you have a variety yeah, yeah, of these yeah, kind of things. Yeah. yeah. So I think what's particularly curious here is only occasionally, I mean, this is one of the things, I'm, I'm genuinely all over the place with the 9-11 Commission report, but the thing that I like in it is associated with the description of how young men, disaffected young men, are the most dangerous thing, and I'm going to use the word the here, in any given society. 
And the way that this country and a variety of other countries, but this country does associate with militarism is in order to grab the energy of these disaffected young men mm-hmm. and That's then an thrust interesting them into analysis. some, and, yeah. you know, some conflict, yeah. ideally created well, it by people. it doesn't even make any difference if you have a war. The thing is you get them off the street and regiment them. That's exactly and- the point. No, you don't want these people within your society because oh. <laughs> these, are the, these are the people, particularly when they're sufficiently disaffected. Yeah, that- who cause a lot of trouble. Exactly. <laughs> and through the 60s, the... You know, whatever one wants to call it. look at gangs in America. Certainly. Yeah. But through the 60s, particularly through movements like the Black Panthers, this was seen as being particularly dangerous. I mean, it's still dangerous in this country, but they don't talk about it as explicitly as, you know, those Muslims over there doing this stuff. Well, the world's changed a lot since the 1960s. Well, but the fears fears of those in power, the fears of the elites remain relatively similar. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the, probably has for the last couple hundred years. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Well, take the but first world war, for example. But they're out of business. I mean, really, I mean, it really doesn't. I don't. It's clear that their world is over. Well, to me, it's clear. I don't even think it's worth talking about. Well, the only is, issue is yeah. what's going to happen next. Well, I guess my concern is that when you have a continuous narrative that is just, you know, it's cyclical in terms of every 10 years, there's a new enemy that used to not be our enemy maybe 20 years ago, or in the case of the sons of Iraq and ISIS, 10 years ago, the yeah. sons of Iraq were being paid by, you know, the U.S. Yeah, military yeah, yeah, to do yeah. their stuff. And when the U.S. military stopped paying this, them, This is they went not a surprise, is it? Well, I mean, I think when one uses the term jihadist in this context, you need to be very careful that you're not just uh, amplifying an existing set uh, of, like, bigotry uh, yeah, okay, yeah, and you're right. curious yeah. analysis. Yeah, any analysis is, is, is a gloss. Yeah. Any analysis yeah. is a gloss. The reality is beyond comprehension. our comprehension. Certainly. Yes. Uh, but... Yeah, it's it's good to to understand the nature of the metaphors we're using yeah. and the words we're using and, and I guess right. I, yeah, I, w- I stumbled over that. I really don't have a a good word for for all this stuff. You know, I I don't think I don't think there is a good word. Well, I, I think like everybody's use, got their own yeah. interpretation of it. I'd know? like to use the term cyclical in order no, to reference the fact that this has historically occurred and in the past 40 years, I mean if you go back to Algeria maybe 80 yeah. years this has been a circumstance which has been kind of fermented, concocted, created. Yeah. But this is through. still relatively modern phenomenon. I mean, I, I don't think you can – well, the world is not the same place as it was 100 years ago. I mean – True. It, it, it's it, You can trace all this stuff back as – I'm, well, I'm no, sure you can trace If you look at the First World War, if you look at the First World War in terms of a completely created conflict, again designed to stop, in this case – union movements and socialism from spreading into the, you know, Western imperial elites and this kind of stuff. I mean, you have the history of this where if you had an educated public at any given time, you would have... (laughs) No, I'm serious. I mean, my perspective is if we could change anything... Well, but that's the job before us. Yes. To create a world of an educated populace. Certainly. Without that, there is no hope. Certainly. That I see, anyway. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm of a similar mind, which is why... When I periodically look at Facebook, in particular, people that are relatively tightly aligned with some of my ideas, or at least listen to Model Rail Radio, I remind myself that this is not only the majority, this is the vast majority. 
Yeah, most people uh, are are living in the caterpillar. It totally invested in it. Mm. Even even those those who think they're not. Mm. You know, I mean they don't think in that that metaphor particularly. That's why they don't think of it that way. Mm. But a lot of people who are consider themselves to be deeply spiritual or political or mm. all sorts of things are just playing the caterpillar game. Yeah. So returning to Gunter's question, my perspective and I tried to repeat this over recent Stone Apes just to get this into the listenership's head, is that we each need to take responsibility. We can escape, we can avoid the caterpillar, but while we are completely entrenched in caterpillar business, we need to have a narrative, a counter-narrative, which can be utilised periodically at least to generate some form of thought. In who? Some other people? You mean as an agent of evolution exactly. or just surviving? Well, but, but, well my I don't think they're inextricable. To survive. Well, what I've discovered is that I, it's better that I keep my mouth shut mm. because people don't really want to think. They really don't. So, I mean, in, unless you get a really clear sign from somebody, hmm. I, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I haven't. And uh, no okay. doubt it's going to be the conclusion of the uh, Stone Age podcast <laughs> when you have to unhappily announce that the mob has finally caught up with me. But <laughs> something that I've been testing in terms of my spiritual advisor is when she comes to me with a, a perspective which is clearly... You know, because she's an all-American girl growing up in Southern California, all these kind of things. I ask her to do, I don't, I mean, I do talk about ideas, but I say, just go and do a little research. Tell me what you find yeah. out. Go and do yeah. some independent research. Yeah. And I think. And you the, give her the subjects, of course. Well, no. In fact, that's the best part. I don't, so, for example, Hillary Clinton, for example, the situation in Syria, a wide variety of examples where I have a distinctly different view than the average American on the street. I talked to her about some of the issues, and she said, "This is ridiculous. You can't. This can't be right." I said, "Okay, go and do a little research." Okay, Come so you've it. all right, but you're telling her what to look. No, no, not at all. I'm not telling with Hillary, her. No, with Hillary Clinton, I say, pick any three aspects of this woman's life, any three aspects. See what you learn from that investigation. What, read a wide variety of websites. You know, go and get independent information, and okay. then yeah. repeat what you have repeated to me or tell me what you've learned through this process and with both Hillary Clinton and the situation in Syria and she didn't even get to the sons of Iraq I mean I try to point people at the sons of Iraq because that to me is 70,000 curious individuals that were paid tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars in order to learn how to fight learn a wide variety of US military techniques that then immediately when their money stopped, went and joined ISIS. So when you look at the when you look at the way ISIS fights, when you look at the way ISIS interrogates people, house to house raids, all this kind of stuff. If you look at the way ISIS uses its media, all of this comes from the U.S. military. And the Sons of Iraq is the topic that you could focus people on if oh. you you know want to explore this. But thing. see, oh, why such a focus on the fucking caterpillar? Who gives a shit? Because once you once you take off the skin of the caterpillar, you're moving towards the butterfly. And if you, if people don't understand, <laughs> that's a good one. You're supposed to, and I'm supposed to accept that as some sort of answer to my question. <laughs> no, my view is that when you when you lose the sense of belief in the caterpillar, when you lose a sense of ah. the narrative that you've been told through the caterpillar, okay, yeah, is actually I, ah, the case. okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, if you can, if they can, yeah, if you can really get them to get disheartened by what they're seeing yeah that's that's yeah. that's a good step forward and i mean you you have a very pure almost like theoretical approach associated with language is the way to disassemble this thing well it's it's the way i'm i've chosen to certainly 
You know, yeah, it's certainly not the only way to yeah. do it. It's just uh, I think it's a damn good way. And, uh, yeah. and, and my perspective is it's a very good long-term approach. The problem is I've got a few more caterpillar, like living in the caterpillar years in me, and I need to slowly get at least a small group of folk around me, at least speaking roughly the same language associated with these things. Otherwise, it's just going to be... Thus, we do podcasting. Exactly. <laughs> and thus, occasionally, people listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Well, it only, you know, every single one, even if it's just a few, you mm. know? I mean, that's, a, a mo that's movement forward. Mm. And we're not the only ones doing, you know? There, well... There are lots of people out there doing podcasts that probably you or I don't even know about. Well, I spent a good very effort... Small. You don't even listen to podcasts, Heron, so clearly you probably well, clearly don't know, I about don't know about them. I actually try to find these podcasts out there. Ah! And it's a very curious and wandering approach, which is, I think, really why I continue with these Stone Night recordings with such gusto, is that I think we're actually presenting, in the field of podcasting, a relatively unique perspective. Disheartening well, in some bad. regard, yes, I'm disheartened <laughs> as well. But I think, you know, the need for this information to be out there, the, I need for folks to listen to this stuff. And this leads very neatly into a question from our listener, Maxwell, who says, I would like to be involved, where do I begin? Ah, yeah, I, I responded, yeah. Yes, well, talking yeah. to you is always a good start, but for, yeah. for more of our listeners, what are your thoughts on where they should be? <sighs> Whichever way their no nose is pointed, <laughs> you know. Yes. Uh, I don't even know how, what I mean about language. Uh, I so, mean that that question is just too vague. Yeah. I mean, I'd, okay, I'd so have here's, to here's my perspective. Yeah. Here's my perspective. The thing that I really, which is unique to my podcast recordings, but something that I really enjoy hearing from listeners. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. What I was going to say is one thing you can do is you can write a long or short statement about what you're interested in, what questions bother you, or, mm -hmm. or you know, whatever, and post it to the podcast, uh, to the Facebook group, you know, engage other listeners. There are several. So <laughs> a point I was trying to make just before there was that one of the things I really like about Stone Ape is that couples listen to Stone Ape. <laughs> they listen to it, they get ideas, and they have conversations following the podcast. Oh, cool, cool. Oh, and, that's great. No, I think this idea is really fascinating because a number of the couples like... Just market it on that issue for couples. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, if you have friends, if you have, we have one listener, Mike King, who has actively marketed Stone Ape to his co-workers. Really? And I would encourage the active participation of listeners and finding others getting together, talking about the topics that we discuss on Stone Ape, and then maybe as a smaller community, posting on the Facebook page saying, we had this discussion, you know, so-and-so yeah. thought this, so-and-so thought yeah. that. You and, know, you I'm sorry. Yeah. sorry. And I, my uh, TeamSpeak server would gladly be made available to anybody who wants to get together there and talk. If you, mm. if you want to meet, I've got a couple people now that are using it like once a week to, to get together to talk about stuff. Mm. You know, so if anybody's interested in that, uh, contact me. I've received some correspondence through the week from listeners, and they fall into two very interesting categories. The first is actually feedback from couple listeners that are following. C can I ask you how it is th these are these come to your Facebook? Uh, yeah, page, no, actually, uh, this this week it's been exclusively through Facebook messages, which isn't always the best way you? to contact me. Just uh, to me. Yeah. Okay. 
And I think in both groups here, they relate to things that are specifically framed at me. I mean, they relate to things that the discussion kind of is created from that element. Yeah. The first part is I, if, well, it's interesting because we have together two different groups of listeners, distinct groups of listeners. One group that I will just call Gendophiles that or have stoners. Stoners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes, that's a good overlap as well. <laughs> Let's call them stoners. Uh, and they are very... Barbalayers. No, there are no Barbalayers, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> believe me. Actually, it's funny, I, I have these second cousins that listen in. But anyway, so of, of the stoner group, they are very heavily affiliated with your ideas. And I guess, and I've used this in the past to describe the fact that I'm just like some dancing monkey for the Heronstone <laughs> ideas on Stone Age, you know. Yeah, but you're the dancing monkey who makes this possible. Yes, but that's <laughs> secondary to just being a dancing monkey in this case. And in this regard, I'm very much at peace with this. I'm very much at peace with my dancing monkey status. Primarily because... Listen, we all play whatever part we can and are thankful for it. Yeah, some of us are... Well, if it's mildly offensive, I can deal with that. But <laughs> I guess I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that I've never really gone out of my way to court your, you know, your particular demographic that you bring in. And most of them aren't in correspondence with me. No, you've, you're you and I'm me. And exactly. that's pretty much what you get, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> but there's some overlap here because I try to bring, I don't know whether it's a humanist perspective or whatever it's described, maybe just the foolishness. Maybe I'm really the dancing monkey and I just need to embrace that. But through this, there are some small number of heron stone devotees, stoners, that occasionally strike up conversations with me associated with some of the topics that I raise. Hmm. I'd like to encourage this, actually. I think oh, yeah. it, it actually bridges some of the gaps here because I'm not necessarily critical of some of your ideas, but I like to explore Hell, them. Hell, I'm critical a, of a lot of my ideas. <laughs> I like to explore them in such a way that we get just a little bit deeper. I mean, there's a yeah. certain superficiality associated with, like, the introduction to Gendo and these no, kind of no, things. No, 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 I, I enjoy, yeah. I, don't I? I mean, don't yeah, I certainly. pretty much enjoy getting yes. challenged? Yes, No, well, I, I don't have any no. question now. I'm talking about the listeners that come to this and have various perspectives. And many yeah. of them are very much a kind of listening to the Gendo podcast, getting everything out of the Gendo podcast. They come over here, but they're really not interested in the stuff that I'm saying. An interesting thread that has come through the week through, let's call them Barbalay Files or whatever you want to call them anyway. But they have been particularly concerned over the past couple of weeks with my, well, actually probably about three months, but most focusedly over the past couple of weeks associated with my health and general well-being. And I find this correspondence really quite curious because very few of them have primary access to me, but they're constantly like looking at little things that I say almost out of context, but basically huh. it's the only context that they have. Yeah. And kind of an I'm still their- stunned by this. Yeah. I, I can't recall. I, I mean, they must know something more than I know. Oh, they also listen to short funk as well. Okay. All right. So it's, it's Stone Eight plus short funk. Yes. Okay. All right. And. Because you haven't talked, I, I don't recall you talking, but I don't recall much of anything, so. <laughs> but, yes. I mean, am I wrong that. that well, I don't know, I guess. And complaining about your health? No, not really. I mean, not certainly. I mean, I mentioned it periodically here, particularly associated with my general lucidity and general. And the, the recordings have well, ended earlier. Yeah. On recent recent weeks. But I had an experience where I ate some boar sausage last Sunday. And it gave me what I would consider a synthetic migraine. Now, I don't typically have migraines. I have periodic headaches occasionally. 
But this was a very defined thing that after doing a little bit of research, I realized this is just the boar sausage. It will go through my body. <laughs> it will be done within yeah. about two, three days. And yeah. I just need to live with this experience like there's a vice around my skull tightening. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. kind of a, me- a metallic synthetic effect, which is very difficult to describe, but it felt very artificial. Yeah. And I knew very specifically that it was related to boar sausage because I did some background research and I realized also the amount of boar sausage I consumed was in a pasta sauce, which meant the boar sausage had already reduced and basically flooded the pasta sauce. I made the pasta sauce last Sunday. So from that, a few listeners took bits and pieces and kind of reconstructed various bits of medical advice that they were giving and these kind of things. And I thought, well, this is an interesting phylum of folk here. Because what is being explored here is their own particular experiences. And historically, people have contacted me out of the blue with regards to certain aspects of their own particular experiences. But this was very focused, associated with this boar sausage. And to be frank... What's the word? What kind of sausage? Wild pig. Oh, boar. Okay, I got you. Yeah, all right. (laughs) So... It was very tightly focused on this particular sausage experience. The other stuff that I face associated with my loss of vocabulary and things like that is lack of sleep, but it's not lack of sleep due to any anomaly. I mean, my sleep has always been anomalous throughout my life. I've required typically very little sleep, but as I get older, I require slightly more sleep in certain periods, and I just take it accordingly. But the kind of health diagnosis that I was getting from multiple listeners I found particularly curious and it almost made me feel, because I thought, I mean, in Stone, in Stone Ape, I don't talk about it aside from cutting it short and, very, you know, various edit points and these kind of things. Sure, fuck, I've taken slightly more liberty in talking about... The ball sausage was very curious, um, because it really was completely synthetic, and it left me in a very curious state of just having, like, migraine-like headaches for two days. But, yeah, it's interesting, actually, that our listeners care about us in a very particular fashion, and want to, I guess, give mm. us particular advice in certain circumstances in terms of your folks on talk show is it mainly you probably don't even know that they live in missouri but there's a couple that participated in one of our after recording chats that live in missouri and they seem to be relatively communicative with you um really <laughs> well that's what I, that's the impression i get i mean what's the name austin and kaylee oh yeah okay. yeah 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 so kaylee periodically corresponds with me and she gave me some heavy correspondence this week which i actually when you when you guys were all chatting, I really felt like I was just not even... I didn't need to be there, basically. This was very specific stuff associated mm, yeah. with their own, you know, analysis associated with Gento. Yeah. And it made me realize, actually, that... And this has been represented historically as well by a bunch of listeners that have... I mean, many of them have actually moved on. I think what's quite interesting is a lot of the Gendo files have become very frustrated through the Stone 8 format. Maybe you don't get enough airtime. I'm not really sure. But... <laughs> It is a thing. It is a thing. So I think we've... Oh, let me return to Maxwell's question for a minute, which is... where does Every he time begin? you say Maxwell, the, the next two words are... Oh, his surname? Ooh. No, Silver Hammer. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sure Maxwell has heard that many times. Or maybe he hasn't. Anyway. Maybe he, well, in any case, you got to be old to know that yes. reference. Anyway. Or like oh. old music in order to yeah. understand that reference. <laughs> uh, anyway, he asks, where does he begin associated with involvement? Yeah. I, from my perspective... <laughs> he already began. Well, from my perspective, <laughs> talk to others, involve others, engage in the community through the Facebook page. Try occasionally, when you find a particular Stone Ape recording... You can click on the link and you can actually paste that into Facebook. Yeah. And because we sure. have this yeah. seven-minute rule, 
there may be people that don't actually listen in. However, the Gendo files, funnily enough, are after 700 plus bits of audio, are used to listening to long form audio. So they're already easy to move into the Stone Ape format. But um, yeah, Maxwell, I would encourage you to go out within your social group and try to find the others within your social group. I would also encourage you to interact more with us. Yeah. You know, start a conversation. What are you interested in? What is it that you find interesting about this? Yes. Why do you want to get involved more? Yeah, but I think that's a conversation that can be had both externally and also with the Facebook group. I mean, what interests me actually is, well, the couples thing is one example. The kind of expanding, you know, expand the discourse Mm. with... Well, I'm glad you're going to worry about expanding the group. (laughs) I think that's... I guess that's... It's just not my focus. I'm... Certainly. But you're right. I mean, we're going to lose. Some people are going to come in and stay. Other people are going to come in and leave after a while. And other people are going to (laughs) die or figure out what we're really up to. (laughs) Rage quit. That's happened as well. Yeah, yeah. So you got to keep new people coming in. So, yeah, it would be helpful if we got the the listeners to do that for us. (laughs) Yes. That's right. You guys, that's your assignment for the next year. Okay? Get one other person to start listening regularly to this. And have conversations with them. Encourage them through that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know. Because I think we have enough listeners now, in particular enough listeners that email me periodically, usually through Facebook again, and say, write on about talking about this, or write on about talking about that, or can you talk more about this aspect, or can you talk more about that? And this dialogue ultimately flows back into the conversations that we have. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a curious position, at least for me anyway, is that the, in a sense, the only reason I'm here is just because I like good conversation. Yes. On the other hand, it's clear to me that the stuff that happens here is, I think, important, that the stuff we're talking about is historically important, and, um, and I'd like more people, well, you know, I'm just rambling, never mind. <laughs> so... Another topic I have down here, which we've, we've, over the past two recordings, this being the third, we've discussed the future in a very abstract way, in particular mm. how it relates to, you know, motivating change. Maybe it's change here associated with, like, thinking about and discussing butterfly business. Maybe it's change associated with, you know, moving out of the ghetto that you live in. Maybe it's change associated with a variety of different factors. But the notion of the future in terms of planning for the future and enacting various steps along the way is a skill that I think is rarely talked about. Mm. But something it's funny, they don't teach that in yeah. school either, do they? Well, what they don't is... want you to have a perspective of the future which enables you to make change. They want you to fit into a slot. That's right. In the workforce. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And come home, watch your television, go to bed, wake up, fit into the slot. Come yeah, home, watch yeah. television, go to bed, fit into the slot. You no, know, you punch your wife goodnight. Well, that yeah. might fit you into another slot, but anyway. <laughs> so this notion of the future here, I think, is it's interesting because certainly with my periodic correspondence with Kaylee and with various other listeners, this whole perspective associated with a future that you can attain through enacting various things, as you say, is not only not taught... It is something that is yeah. so alien to a majority yeah. of the population that, yeah, you know. It's a weird idea. Yeah. Isn't that sad? God. Yeah. Well, that's why, I, again, I think, uh, you know, if you can get kids uh, between 12 and 15 or something, <laughs> then mm. you can really 
have a big impact on their lives. You know, but after boy, after puberty, once that's finished, you know, they're pretty set. Yeah, I mean, certainly it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't explicitly. I guess in some ways it was explicitly done and associated with the breadth of my reading at a relatively early age. But with you, it was enacted after puberty. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, it's it's curious. I, I, I'm really um, I, yeah. I, I just thank Bob <laughs> for good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah. I was 21, but I mean, there were when I look back, there were moments of insight. There were things. I mean, I had read a couple of things. I read Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. the, the original <laughs> uh, book. Yes. When I was maybe twelve or so, yeah, and and in the book, it's quite. I don't know if you've read the book, but it it's different in many ways, obviously. But it really doesn't get resolved unless the until the last two paragraphs of the whole goddamn book. Yeah, when the guy realizes he's he's on Earth. Spoiler. Yeah. Well, when he realizes they just landed back on Earth, you know, and that it's uh, you know so many thousand years in the future because of relativity, and the apes had taken over in the meantime. Yes. And this is all revealed in the last two paragraphs of the book. Yes. So uh, it really stunned me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and all. So I mean, there were moments of, of thought. But it, it it didn't become conscious, you know. It didn't stick until Watts, first, you know, and that yeah. was just such out, out of the blue <laughs> circumstance, you know. Yeah, I guess. I mean, going back to early childhood experiences, my father spent a lot of time with union leaders and actually like interviewing them and going to union meetings and things like that. And I was very much there as a young boy. So I understood the nature of radical political thought, in particular the notion that these people were revolutionaries. Like there was an authoritarian system which, you know, was supposed to enact enough comfort for the workers if they towed the line. And then there were these folks that said, no, actually, you turn this whole thing on its head. We're on the top of the structure. The folks that are supposed to be pulling the strings are completely paralyzed if we stop working. And, you know, that completely changes the whole dynamic. And from that perspective, it gave me a sense that I had to be a revolutionary. Like, there was no oh. other option in terms of uh, doing <laughs> things like this. And this is why Fred how Hampton... Old you? How old uh, were you? Maybe three or four. Oh, and the nature of, you know, Fred, I mean, Fred Hampton I found afterwards, but I could see certain themes of Fred Hampton's work through these early childhood experiences as well. And when I found, like, my profession through this, I thought, well, the people that have ultimately enacted this were revolutionaries. I mean, when I went and actually met them and smelt them and these kind of things, they didn't seem quite so revolutionary. But what I took was my kind of childhood idealism associated with what I wanted to do, associated with invention and creation of technology and, you know, moving certain ideas forward through technology and just translated that into my existing, you know, social, political, dialectic, for want of a better term. And it was relatively unique. I mean, it certainly wasn't the experience of a majority of my peers, and I had to go and seek out like-minded folk. And I think what's interesting to me is that my parents, they have then looked, I mean, my father less so than my mother, my particular political perspective is totally alien to them, even though they sowed the seeds in me, so to speak, (laughs) associated with this. Vast quantities of reading was the other thing. And I think reading is so completely liberating because it shows... The ability for folks in completely different situations to survive, live, go through conflict, you know, all these kind of things become so immediate to you as a child. Reading has just been a huge part of my life, and it really saddens me to find that 
people don't – I mean, they read, you know, articles or essays maybe. But books, you know, extended arguments um, – mm. well, there are still people who, who do read books, but I don't know. Do you have a sense about – well, Where that's let's, going? let's explore this. My perspective associated with contemporary reading is, particularly when I look at the fall of book prices, interesting book prices, unique book prices, is that it is a dying aspect. And when you talk about children, when you talk about young humans, creating environments where they can read comfortably. And I also think it's true the internet isn't providing the, the best source for long-form reading, but it is at least providing a source for children to get a different perspective on whatever they've yeah. been told in their particular. Oh no, place. I don't want. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's yeah. just the idea of of reading something a couple hundred pages that's trying to make one point, mm. you know, and backing it up, and, you know, and and yeah. uh, that whole exercise in putting ideas together. Yeah, I guess I rarely read books like two hundred, three hundred, four hundred page books where there is only one idea through it. I mean, that's the beauty, well, actually, well, of reading, of course, is yeah. that it's a complexity of layering of ideas, yeah. which yeah. might point in a particular direction, or even more curiously, show you the diversity of particular thought. Well, and that's the, still this, what, that's what I'm talking yeah, about, is so, the idea of integrated ideas, yes. engaging them for 400 pages. Yeah. You know, that's just something that... Well, I don't think... Probably it's never been a large part. I mean... It's probably always been just a small percentage of people who actually read that stuff. Mm. You know, I mean, literacy wasn't that great until just the last, you know, 50, 100 years. So Certainly. I but don't know. Yeah, maybe we're doing okay. I, well, <laughs> we periodically talked about the Wikipediaization of information. Yeah. Which is ultimately like a single point of truth, which is very, very dangerous. Well, no, but that's not, the, that's not Wikipedia's problem. That's no. stupid fucking human language monkey's Certainly. problem. Certainly. It, the Wikipedia terminology is a great resource. Yes. It's a, it's a first look. It's a first look, and then explore from there. Yes. But I guess my perspective is that what I find fascinating through reading and extended reading is finding not necessarily contradictions, but you read one source, then you read another source, then you read another source, then you read another source, and then through that you begin <laughs> to understand that the notion of the truth <laughs> is somewhat relative. Yeah, well, it's not only relative, <laughs> it's actually very, very curious. Well, it's, it's, a, still, it's a ridiculous exactly. idea. Yeah, yes. The truth is yeah. just complete nonsense. Yeah. There, there are only interpretations, period. That's it. Yes. There's there's our direct well this is what I this is what I keep getting back to. There's the only thing we actually have that we can count on is our immediate direct experience and the stories we've got about it. Period. That's it. There is nothing else. And I would add that the primacy of one's direct experience and certainly secondarily and even more points to be questioned, the narrative associated with that. The primacy of your experience is very, very curious if you look at it with any degree of, you know, critical... Well, especially if you've already got a story going on about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it gets very complex yeah. because it's a reflexive system. you got your you got your story about your experience, and then you've got stories about your stories. Hmm. And if you're not very clever, it can get somewhat confusing. Mm -hmm. Yes, but this, I guess, returns to the nature of reading. And the benefits of reading, particularly in the 
context of doing these various ideas. So let's return to this notion of planning for the future. Okay. When I talk to young people in particular, and when I'm saying young people, I'm saying people in their late teens, early 20s, there has been a change of thought which was identified by Douglas Rushkov and a wide variety of other writers and theorists, that this generation has been linguistically programmed to not be as sceptical as previous generations. Really? Not as sceptical? Yes, which is particularly curious. In particular domains or just generally? Well, that's the notion of someone selling out, the notion of someone changing their perspective for money. That term (laughs) is not actually used in a younger generation. The language, and part of this is, is... and increased further towards <laughs> extreme standardized education uh-huh. in one yeah. sense. Yeah. But also, it's the nature of thinking that you know something. I mean, that's <laughs> one of the beauties of reading, is the more you read, the more you realize the less you know. Yeah. And, yeah. It's actually and you haven't some... really got it until you get that everything you know is wrong. Yes. And then you can start from there again, and yeah. you might be able to make some sense out of it. Yeah. So... Maybe two years ago now, my youngest cousin posted a photo of Hitler on her page on Valentine's Day. And through some <laughs> discourse, she says, she said in writing, I understand about Nazism. And I thought to myself, every aspect of that sentence indicates that she has no, like she has been taught about it in some regard. She views what she's been taught as the truth. But she views yeah. that she's been taught about it, that she needs to learn nothing more about the subject. Yeah, because she knows the truth. Exactly. Yes, that's right. She knows exactly. the truth. Yeah. So yeah. the problem, I think, is defined by Douglas Rushkoff because he's he's tried to, you know, reach to the next generation. Because obviously my generation, at least a majority, have read some aspect of Rushkoff if you're in a certain space. But And Rushkoff also talked very heavily about the manipulation of language associated with global warming versus climate change versus the death tax versus all these (laughs) terms that once you start defining these terms and using them frequently, then you can actually sway sway a a perspective in a variety of directions, which is why... Well, because people are so fucking stupid about the nature of language itself. And they're swayed by that shit. If yeah. the populace was, had grown up and it's not like you need a P- PhD to understand it. If a child grew up just with some simple observation about the nature of language, none of this would be possible. Hmm. So when one is confronted with an individual who, you know, scored remarkably highly in the standardized testing in Australia, who says, I understand about Nazism. <laughs> I found it almost impenetrable to any degree of analysis. I mean, I found it yeah. almost impenetrable to really have a conversation. And that's, I guess, my broader concern, that we talk very, hopefully, associated with a younger generation that comes to this and explores the right stuff. But basically, our detractors, the, the caterpillar, you know, cognitive generals, yeah. have basically made sure very clearly that this generation comes with an even more tightly programmed narrative oh i don't think that's it's well whatever uh, it's certainly prevalent and that's the the task that we're faced with though. Mm. so you know there you go and i guess month to month year to year from my perspective what i read what i understand who i interact with gives me a sense that this is not something that is moving in a direction that you and i uh, would hope for yeah well but look where you're look <laughs> you just answered your own question in the environment you exist in Yes, of course, you exist in an environment full of people who are, 
<laughs> just not involved in any of this shit, man. They got they're on other well, they're caterpillar people. Probably ninety eight percent of the people you deal with. Probably only fifty or sixty percent of the people I deal with, <laughs> you know, are are deeply entrenched in the caterpillar. Maybe more. When when I think about this in an abstract sense, my perspective is that while the percentage is small, if we can find a technique that reaches another generation. Oh, yeah. Then, and it's interesting, actually, that you, you've mentioned periodically music and these kind of things. I'm in the process of recording music currently. And it interests me because I listened, I've listened quite intently to mm. a lot of the popular music and not, you know, not like mainstream recording artists, but at least musicians that are around yeah. genres that I think I could compose in and yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah. And what interests me through oh. that, and our listener, uh, our listener Rick, who I've referred to previously, has also raised this question amongst his broader, you know, Facebook friendship group, is what is, you know, what is the contemporary anti-war, anti-industrial yeah. military complex music that exists out there? Yeah. It's got to not be anti the old. It's got to be for the cat, for the butterfly. Fuck being against the caterpillar. I mean, well, we can reference that, mm. but, but I think the focus has to be on creating the butterfly. Yes. The caterpillar's there. That's what we get to work with. It's important that we understand the caterpillar, that it's most of what's out there. But our focus is on creating a butterfly. And my perspective with that is your ideal of the deconstruction of language as a means of changing the narrative fundamentally is a great ideal. But yeah. I think in, t- in more applied It's not terms, the whole story, that's yeah. sure. <laughs> in more applied terms, there are at least ways that one can kind of move the slope towards that perspective. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's just one aspect. It's, yeah, I certainly don't think it's the answer to everything. It's Certainly. just an answer yeah. that, that for some people I think will, could be quite powerful. I see it in two points. I see there's obviously benefit associated with talking about the butterfly in a very positive light. But I actually think that if people have, in order to break away from, and this again is associated with ripping open the caterpillar, certain analytical tools, certain analytical seeds need to be given to people in order to start that process. I mean, with you, it was, you know, the writings of Alan Watts. With other folk, it could be a variety of different things. Oh, it could be anything, yeah. But that, in a, so, I mean, Watts is not necessarily kind of caterpillar critical, but he certainly, he satires the caterpillar quite heavily in a lot of his work. And I think caterpillar satire, in particular, just the, you know, it, it's there. <laughs> Monty Python, it's man. There. There you yeah. go. There's so, and they were remarkably successful for a short amount of time, at least in their caterpillar satire. Oh, well, they still are. It's still, I mean, th- yeah. those things still exist and people still watch them. Certainly, certainly. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Sadly, not as all. Well, I guess the meaning of life had a certain amount of. Oh, I don't. Well, the movies were fine. I, I liked. I liked the movies, but I think the TV series was. Their, yeah, but I think the movies had a greater reach. I think. Um, the, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, in any case, that's just my take on it. Yeah. Though, yeah, you know, the movies sure were there, but the movies were not. That's a completely different thing than what their certainly. TV series was. Yeah, certainly. And I got for me, Monty Python's Flying Circuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I mean the TV series can stand on its own, but the movies. I mean, some of those movies are relatively timeless. The TV series is very framed in 
you know, the UK over a particular. Yeah, there's always been the UK issue because yeah. there's some references to people that you know, clearly everybody in the UK knows, and I don't know. Yeah, well, probably but, people in the UK no longer know about. Them. I mean, they historically. Yeah, yeah, UK yeah. So we're all even. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but surprisingly, you know, I've I've watched, I've got all that stuff on, mm. on my hard drive, and I and I watch them every once in a while, and it still works. I'm I'm really sort of surprised, you know. I keep thinking it's going to get stale, but yeah, it, it's not. I go back every few years and watch the Meaning of Life, and to a lesser extent, the Life of Brian. Uh huh. And I think that I think the Meaning of Life. I like that best. Yes. I, that was their best movie for me. Anyway. That's relatively timeless. I mean, I think I could consider people in even, you know, 50 years time going back and really understanding and enjoying aspects of that. Yeah. Uh, the life of Brian, it takes a very particular kind of mind to enjoy. But if you, you know, if you want to see <laughs> the Holy Grail also, again, takes a very particular kind of mind. But I think the meaning of life has enough stuff going on. And the yeah. interesting thing about it is that I, Certain aspects of the meaning of life I find absolutely hilarious, but it's when they're not being super funny that they also kind of leave you in a reflective mind state as well. No, I would thoroughly recommend the meaning of life for any listeners that yeah, haven't seen it. I'd recommend watching the TV series. The TV series, you can pick up certain aspects on YouTube. They periodically release it on DVD and things like that. But I think the meaning of life is probably far easier to access now. Really? Is that hard? Is, is, yeah, I got it. I, I don't even remember how I got it, but I got it somewhere probably illegally. Yes. Uh, but is that difficult? I mean, that's not that difficult to find, I suppose, if a person knew how to find stuff, right? A little, a little flow away from the main topic to return to in a couple of minutes' time. <laughs> I was having dinner with my spiritual advisor last night. We went out to what looked like a relatively normal restaurant. It actually turned out to be quite swanky. For folks who follow me on Facebook, you'll see the photo of me sitting there saying this is actually quite an expensive photo. But <laughs> we talked about my spiritual advisor quilts. She quilts quite actively. She's actually, like, been accepted into a contest over all of California and these kind of things. She's been quite successful through her quilting. And she has a large social network of women who are typically, well, I mean, she's got one friend who's roughly our age, but most of them are 60, 70, 80 year olds. Yeah, yeah. All yeah, well, they'll them. all be dead pretty soon. Well, this is fascinating because be they all <laughs> they all pirate content. They all do, well, of course. Yes, the whole notion of like something being copyrighted and it being protected, and you know, you're stealing from the artist. This guy's they don't care about any of that crap. Yeah, no, they're not doing it to make yeah. a living. Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting <laughs> so associated like with doing it. technical competency. <laughs> we found this actually with with my spiritual advisor's parents. They can't do anything technically except for burn. DVDs of live TV content. <laughs> and then they're like military precision. They're like submarine operators to get everything right. They know which buttons to push to get the audio yeah, levels yeah, right yeah. so they well, can pirate but I, their content. train a chimp to do that. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but it's <laughs> fascinating because they claim to have absolutely no technical knowledge until a movie comes on the TV that they want to record. And then they're like, you know, like well, smart Remember things. how nobody knew how to use a VCR? Yes, that, yes. That, 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 that mindset has gone. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, anyway, this sideline was purely that there seems to be some relationship to, I mean, look, young folk obviously like pirating content as well. But oh, it seems, it's not about liking it. It's just there. Yes. Yes. You know, you got, you can go out and spend a bunch of money on the one hand, or you can just take it. Mm. <laughs> you know, your choice. Yeah. I think the last piece of content that I had pirated, I then bought in two different forms as well. 
And in my perspective, I, I mean, I kind of mentioned actually almost everything that I need in terms of media is there through, you know, various subscription services. Or I can at least buy it through Amazon relatively easily. The, yeah. You're not familiar with the work of King Crimson. I've referred to them previously. Well, I've from yeah. 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 But I, the Court of the Crimson King, which is an album with a guy's face wide open that goes through his tonsils to, like, the back of his face, is a seminal album for me. It's the first time I've heard music as a young child that I was actually scared of. <laughs> like, it was so angry and loud and complex yeah. and, you know... Yeah. And their signature track on that album, or the one, actually, there are a number of tracks, depending on your particular musical perspective, but they have a song called 21st Century Schizoid Man. Ah, I've heard of that. Which yeah. is like a seminal, I need to get you, I need to get you this, this album, Aaron. But the problem is, it's not available on iTunes. There is one song from that album. Oh, but it's surely available. Without question. <laughs> yeah. And you can now buy it on CD again. There was a period of time where you couldn't even buy it on CD. They're kind of eccentric. You can buy anything on... Well, that's right. You can even buy shit on vinyl now. Yeah, so I guess you can buy yeah. stuff on CD, too. Yeah. Anyway, I have I have that CD. I have the CD in multiple locations. I have three of the bits of vinyl, I think, at least. It was one of the albums that yeah. when my parents got divorced, the other one, they kind of split their records, and then the other one purchased... What years were, were King Crimson? Uh, late 60s, early 70s. 20th that's century schizoid man. Well, the- shit, I should have, that was, yeah, that's funny that I don't know more about them because that was the period when I was listening to rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, the, the lead kind of composer and instrumentalist is a fellow called Fripp. And he very much, well, to a certain extent. Robert Fripp? I think so. Maybe something Fripp. I think maybe Robert Fripp. And he. Does that name sound. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff you say sounds familiar to me, but I have no sense of the music at all. It's very, it's very cognitively interesting music. I mean, it goes through early, like, heavy metal influences, but very, I mean, the whole movement towards heavy metal was primarily associated with guitar riffs, volume, and drums. So it really captures that initial elevation. There's lots of almost folk instrumental stuff in there as well. It's one of these beautiful albums mm-hmm. that doesn't fit very well into yeah, any particular Yeah, oh, good. That's genre. always a good, yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with the Incredible String Band? Yes, I am. I okay. think I own at least at least one of their records. Really? Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, they, they seem so overlooked, and they were one of my very favorites. Yes. It's interesting, actually, because you like some of the early, well, when I say earlier, like the early 60s Stones, and my interest in the yeah. Stones is kind of the late 60s, early 70s. Mm, yeah. But it is interesting. I, I opened up my record crates through the week because I purchased two records at a local, I don't even know what one call it. I guess they call it a collectibles. It's got basically old toys, old magazines, and old records. And it's run by an extremely eccentric woman who actually is the best fun in the whole place. Because you can have a conversation with her for 40 minutes as you're checking out your, you know, two magazines and three records, as I had. I was opening up my record thing to put these two records in. I just thought to myself, I bought a a turntable USB record player, and it was just the wrong thing. I saved about $100 on it, and I probably should have just bought a slightly more expensive one because the weighting was all wrong and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I probably should actually donate it before the year's out and then buy a, a better record player. But it was quite frustrating because when I first put the needle down, and I hadn't played a lot of this stuff for probably about seven or eight years, it was clear that it was just completely weighted wrong, and it was almost like a treble-heavy sound and quite alien to me. 
Yeah. But yeah, I do still have a lot of records and I really need to get that stuff together. I guess when I'm done with this renovation thing in my podcasting room, I probably will have better space for records because I'm going to have deeper shelves. But yeah, I do miss the records. Anyway, returning to the point, King Crimson album, again, I think is something that people should really have the ability to listen to. But through these legal media, I mean, even through Amazon Prime and things, you can't get this album. And the Beatles as well have also shot themselves in the foot with this thing. They had a period of time where you couldn't get it, then you could get it again. You can't get it through Apple Music. I mean, it's all about like maximizing the profit that they oh, can get I know, through. Yeah, a it's time. just yeah, that that's well, that's part of what we got to change. Yeah. that's that's you know, yeah, it's crazy. It's just too, everything sh- is there. Mm. It's just all available. That's it. It's there. Yes. Open it up. I, I really am looking forward to the next couple of years. You know, mm. of to see how all this develops. I'm still focused almost prime, well, primarily, I would say, on my f- physical be- being, mm-hmm. my physical well being. And I'm, pr- I'm probably still a- at least a year, maybe two years away, because I'm probably going to have to have back surgery. Mm. Yeah, we have talked about this. Before. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's something that I've known is going to, and I've lost most of the weight. I still have some more weight to lose, but uh, like I say, it's going to take a while, but not much. And, and the, that doesn't seem to be helping the back any so far, mm. but you never can tell, mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are 20 pounds, it, it might make a big difference. So, so I don't have to make that decision soon, but I mean, if that doesn't do it, then I'm probably going to have to have back surgery, Yes, which is, and, well, anyway, the point is, is that all, really all of my attention is focused on, on my physical well-being and the intellectual stuff, the gendo stuff, uh, uh, the the butterfly caterpillar <laughs> gendo stuff is still there, but you know my focus just isn't on that at this point. Well, it's interesting because you still post the video from Fullerton periodically. Oh I mean, yeah, I, I'm still no, yeah, you're right. I'm still yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm still doing stuff. I'm still reading. I'm still thinking. I'm still writing. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not putting any pressure on myself to actually produce anything yet. Yeah. In that sense, because my focus is on producing results in my physical well-being. Yeah. And um, and I I really just I don't think I'm capable of doing more than one thing at a time. <laughs> but so I continue these other pursuits, and um, and and I'll move on them if I feel so moved, you know, before then. But but um, right now I'm focused on yeah I'm focused on my physical well-being. I just had to go back into um, surgery because, you know, the VA is very good, I must admit. They they have a panel who reviews stuff. Did we talk about this last week? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, so I, I went in and, and uh, they finished off the surgery. So that's done now. <laughs> and that's a that's a good feeling. It hasn't healed yet. There's still sort of a little hole there, but it's healing up nicely. So very good. Wait, well, I got off on a rant. Okay, uh, well, let's let's return to. So we were talking about planning for the future, and ah, yes, we touched on some aspects. What I wanted, to, which I don't think I actually touched on through the discussion up until now, is this notion of comfort. 
And I guess when I look at a variety of folk, and particularly comfort, physical comfort, mental comfort, all of the above, religion. Okay, okay, all comfort, of the above. comfort in general, any old way you can get it. Exactly, with the <laughs> view that if you're comfortable, why would you ever need to change? That's right. Damn right. Yeah. <laughs> you got that. And the perspective of comfort <laughs> is very curious because I think it's part of. It's part of at least a capitalist social indoctrination. I mean, you can't be completely comfortable because you still need to go out and buy that additional stuff that you well, don't really Well, but you can need. be really comfortable, you know, with your level of uncomfortableness. Certainly. And certainly, in terms of motivating change, I talked historically, in me at least, to physical discomfort, which is a very real thing. And, you know, enacts, I enact change based on that discomfort. The question has always been, particularly from my spiritual advisor and occasionally others around me, like, is this comfort real and does this comfort change? Because <laughs> what you talk about associated with discomfort doesn't relate to what they're feeling, so they don't understand this thing. And I think it's an interesting question. I've had correspondence uh, with my father's cousin, female cousin's son, which is like my second, my first cousin once removed. And he is kind of broadening into this whole narrative that I'm trying to collect associated with my broader family. And he describes a situation where his family moved to Australia to set up some business with my grandfather, then moved to Melbourne, and then moved back to the UK. And in my father's generation and the generation earlier than my father, all the children moved away internationally and moved around and hopped from country to country until they found where they were comfortable. Hmm. And it's interesting because when I reflect on my own life, this has happened to me as well. And the reason it's happened is this feeling of discomfort that I have. That you know, once I establish myself at a particular place, I literally have a physical feeling of irritation that kind of builds up over time <laughs> to the point where I'm just like, fuck yeah. this shit. I'm yeah. getting the hell out of here. Yeah. And it's very curious because that's curious, yeah. Because yeah. I'm just the opposite. Exactly. Well, well, not completely. I mean, our, I, I've gotten used to situations that weren't very good, and I, I and I can accommodate myself to that. Yes. But uh, it's sure better when they're nice. You know? Yes. My perspective is different than what people would traditionally associate with comfort, because certainly the places I've lived, I mean, like the UK and to a lesser extent Vegas and to a certain extent here, have not been uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form for, like, a typical language monkey. Yeah. But most of my discomfort comes through intellectual things. It comes through intellectually created situations, which typically relates to working for others or companies or yeah. various interests. Oh, yeah. And this, Just those goddamn language monkeys. Well, it's, it's what has been created. Right? Well, it's those language yeah. monkeys is having to deal with them. I mean, I only yeah. have to do it two days a week at yes. the you know, newspaper, but it is a fucking struggle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pretty good at it now, but I mean, but I'm aware of, of I have to be aware of, of all of that. because. So when I interact with folks who are quote unquote comfortable <laughs> and who don't have any of these needs associated with moving or anything like yeah. this, yeah. They seem perfectly happy not to enact change. In fact, in yeah. this whole perspective yeah. associated with planning for the future and planning for change yeah. and these kind yeah. of things, yeah. just not part of their lives. No, no, they're they're happy caterpillar people, yeah. and you know, ignore them. And you know? guess, or actually, they can be quite nice yeah. actually at times. You know, they're well, it's not, interesting actually because certainly, people. certainly, my spiritual advisor has tried to encourage me to spend more time with caterpillar people. I mean, yeah. she. Seems to see this being some. So, for example, when I purchased a boar sausage <laughs> last weekend, it was in a circumstance where I was spending friends with her quilting friend, who's roughly our age, and yeah. her husband. Yeah. Uh, and 
<laughs> see, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, but I think what's particularly curious is that I can't find a certain degree of intimacy with these people, and they also it's it's like it's like a dog and a cat in the same room. I mean, it's it's not just me; it's the other parties as well. Because yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's how you you can if you're good, you can control the situation. You know what I mean? Their reaction to you is their reaction to their their be they're observing your behavior. I just look. It's to do with dull. It's to do with. Well, I know. Well, if you're, yeah. got, but that's part of the game. If you're going to be there and be and be put off by dull, well, come on, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? Yes. Yes. No, it's very much the challenge. And the conversations head. Well, that's up why to I these. avoid that those situations. Exactly. I just I, I have no interest yeah. in being. And if I'm if I have to be in them, or if I choose to be, I've been going to these meetups, you know, just yes. to put myself in the situation of being around humans. Yeah. And it, it's mostly stressful and stupid, but uh, you know, it's been interesting too. So, so the recent atheist meetup that you went to last week, sometime. Mm. How did that go? Was that well? Saturday I don't know. Or? I don't remember which one that was. I've been to several. Yeah, but within the past week, you can't focus on one that you might have been to that you referenced associated with, like, atheism. I think that was the beginning yeah, of last yeah. recording. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've been to two or three, so. In uh, the past week? Y- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, I can tell you, again, it's it's just, it's interesting to be in a group of people and just, like I say, I'm really there as an observer, you know, mm-hmm. and just a, a sort of researcher. I'm look. I've met a couple people that I think probably uh, could, you know, could be useful to know, you know, mm-hmm. or not useful to know. Maybe I might. They might be interested in Gendo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. I, and actually, I've been looking at meetups, you know, like all these, there's a whole bunch of new age sort of subject meetups, mm. meditations or uh, talismans and shit like this. Talismans. You know, whatever, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. There's yeah. a lot of those every week. There's there's a couple of those uh, startups, you know, and, and lots of people go to those things. I'm thinking maybe I'm, see, I've always avoided that kind of shit, you know, and tried to get to something slightly better, but... Uh, you know, maybe I should widen my circle here, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and just attend a couple of those and see what they're doing, you know? Mm. Yeah, I'd love to go to those kind of meetups with the scent of gun oil. <laughs> you know, not well, particularly for me. It, well, but they wouldn't know what it well, is. Well, they might. You know. No, no. Well, no. maybe. <laughs> the smell of the military industrial complex into the talisman <laughs> yeah. club? Well, you could just about gasoline. Maybe just dip your hand or your socks in gasoline. Yes. When I was um, in my early teens, I sang. I was initially a boy soprano, and then I became a, a kind of tenor. Although I could do, I had quite a large range when my voice actually broke. And they were all um, after the Canberra Boys Choir, which was like the boys' choir in the area that I lived and very well accredited. Went to like you know, sang in front of the national portraits and these kind of things. I joined a group called Guardiamus that were all wealthy hippies. And it was a period of time in my life where my parents had gotten divorced. And my favorite thing in the entire world, in fact, I built a kiln-like structure, was to make stronger and stronger fires. And my parents had kind of cultivated it, so I had a kiln in the backyard and there was always wooden stuff. 
And I would just spend my, you know, my Saturday mornings building these elaborate fires, then burning them down in the kiln. And then I'd have to go and hang out with these hippies. So I would smell like campfire. (laughs) And I was around these hippies who were all, they had their own tight social networks. I was an outsider from the get-go. In fact, it was really very curious, that whole period. I've talked about it periodically in in Stone Age. So why were you hanging out with them? Because my family, I needed to be at a place other than around my family at the time. Because I sang and, you know, I I would go to these. And they'd have, like, composition camps and these kind of things. But the hippies always realized there was something wrong with me. Well, I wasn't affluent enough and my parents were divorced. Whereas they all had these amazing houses with, like, five libraries. The hippies? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> they were wealthy hippies, you know? And okay, I just well, that's a different, yeah. different concept of hippie than I'm. Well, hippie. actually, no, look, you come to this part of the world, and this has also been my uh, account yeah. associated with the psychedelic community. They're mainly wealthy people. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, if you yeah. need to work to eat, you're not going to be going down to Peru for ayahuasca ceremonies because you're yeah, going to have no, to be in your well, danger, well, I right? Say, that my experience with hippies is, is somewhat different. That's yes, all. well, I think, anyway. So, yes, how you smell is oftentimes very important in these kind of social oh, circles, yeah, which is yeah. why I thought the, the gun oil might be an interesting, uh, interesting smell. To- well, gun oil is just the, the, cell of, the smell of petroleum. No, no, gun oil is very distinct. Gun oil is a combination of iron. So I wouldn't know what it is. I've never smelled gun oil. Have so you? if I did smell it. I, well, did you, uh, you did firearms training when you were in the military, right? Yeah. Did you realize, I mean, maybe you're not... The same. I have very strong olfactory senses, so maybe you're just not as as heavily. Yeah, I was, certainly wasn't stuff. focused on the smell yeah. of. It. I mean, there certainly was a smell, but yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't something I focused on or identified in any way. Yeah. It's- no, you're right. I understand there is a smell of of firearms, and mm-hmm. if you do it, then you would know that smell yes. probably. You know. Yeah. But uh, but I haven't had that much experience, so it's not an item in my vocabulary. Actually, it's very curious because I haven't had, aside from a small period of time in Las Vegas, in fact, a day in Las Vegas when I went out shooting with a bunch of my co-workers, what I associated with weapon smell is mainly what I've smelt through museums and these kind of things. The actual acrid smell of gunpowder firing. Yeah. I was almost allergic to it. Like, it burnt my nose and my throat, and I realized that I'd never actually <laughs> yeah. been around that smell. The yeah. smell that I associated with firearms was, yeah. the, was the, the oiled... Yeah, the oiled metal. Yes. Yeah, right. From, yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, it's yeah. a curious thing. Mm. So... Again, returning to the topic that we were discussing. Is, is there a topic? Oh, okay. We keep returning to the future sure. through various things. Uh, return so, to the future. Yes. Oh. Yes. That's so part of, part of my life experience associated with this projected future has been associated with very detailed and very focused planning. And this is something that also I find alien talking mm. to a number of folks, but occasionally I'll find someone out there that says, yes, you know, in order to get from here to here, we had to, you know, do X, Y, yeah, yeah. you know, we were moving yeah. in a particular direction. Well, in certain domains, that's a reasonable way to operate. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think even going through that thought process changes you. Even if you don't actually get to the goals that you have projected. No, right, thinking actually, that way yes. is a, that as a way of thinking is yeah. an, an important achievement in yeah. a sense. Because yeah. you discard certain things in that process. You realize actually you need to optimize for this and just like completely reduce 
that aspect and these kind of things. I mean, you have to have some form of strategy associated with the You have to have time. a clear goal. Though. Yes. It's well, actually, a- that's very interesting. My goal is in from my mid-teens, probably from my early teens, very well defined, getting out of Australia through any means necessary. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's clear. You know, <laughs> and then worry about next when you get there. Yeah. The opportunities that presented themselves were fleeting, but had to be optimized for. Yeah. And <laughs> so my first experience was I went to Apple when I was, I don't know, early 20s, maybe 21. and. My perception or some of my planning associated with the future there was that Apple would meet me with open arms and give me a job. Because when I was 19, two years earlier, Apple had actually offered me an internship to go there. Yeah. So when I went to Apple and the fellow who I was meeting at Apple, his wife was hospitalized. So I couldn't meet with him for the extended period of time. Plus, there was a bunch of other kind of grenades that landed, including his manager who I was passed to, who said, Oh, you go to college in Australia. What's your major? Crocodile wrestling? <laughs> and this kind of stuff was completely like, I was there. I was in Cupertino. I was in the belly of the beast and it all just faded away. And I was left in the waiting room with Steve Jobs to walk through. Yeah. And then, you know, then I was back on a plane with the flu back to Australia. And that was yeah, like, that was that opportunity. <laughs> was your big adventure at Apple. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and you can't yeah. imagine the emotional oh, what a bummer. effect yeah. of that, particularly going yeah. back to Australia, having people say to you, oh, I thought you were going to America. Why aren't you still in America, Tom? Yeah. What's going oh, yeah, on here? shit, that must have been awful. So from that, and yeah. I had, from that point, I then went back about six months later, and although I wasn't, in that circumstance, I didn't have a very refined strategy. I actually had a broad strategy there. I met with a number of people. I proved to a number of people that I was someone of worth. And from that initial thing, when I got back to Australia and having the Rushkov article written about me published in a variety of publications in the US and Europe and even in Australia, made me realise that I could then use that as a trajectory to get back to the US. Because when I got back to Australia that trip, I knew I was going back to the US, but I had a bunch of things that I had to do in about a six-week period before I returned to the US. And it was quite overwhelming. And because part of it was recruiting for a new startup and we couldn't find anyone in Australia who we really needed to bring over to that. I mean, there were lots of ups and downs, but I knew at least that I was going to fly straight back to the US. And then from there, I would have six months to a year in the US to actually work out what my strategy would be going from there. But yeah, I think the nature of the future and planning for the future in this context, probably better to look at a variety of different components and optimize not just for a single focus, but optimize for a variety of different potential things. The nature, and here I'm going to use the word the, of a one possibility outcome definition of the future that people focus upon, the probability of that occurring is very, very rare. (laughs) It is better to consider a broad goal that can be achieved through a variety of different ways and then start kind of planning a trajectory. Well, I wouldn't say it's better. You just need to know what, what game you're playing. Well, I mean, my perspective is I would be comfortable, it's certainly in my own experience, and certainly talking to other folk that have been able to enact this kind of projection for the future and getting somewhere close to it, it's probably better to do it with a broader than just to say... Probably better. Again, it's just, you're you're right, you know, but again, in any, I just, you... I'm not sure the value of that generalization. Well, here's the value of the generalization. Here's the value of the generalization. American kids are taught in certain capacities that they should 
become president or, you know, do a variety of things. Yeah, but nobody believes that. Well, some kids do. And some no. then they get affiliated well, with these political parties. Well, I hear about them. Well, actually, you're probably right. There are two or three out there who did. No, I think there are hundreds, if not thousands, because that ultimately motivates affiliation with political parties, you know, as an yeah. ongoing thing. Anyway, yeah, I, mean, I, I stand by what I say. My yeah, perspective yeah. is create a broad landing pad for your perspective of the future and try to utilize as much as possible in these circumstances. Yeah, I mean, that makes so, sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I look at Noble Ape, for example, or something that has very extended and broad notions of the future but certainly has goals in the in the future my ability to enact these things is very much dependent on time but if i have a kind of broad enough goal and if i know that i'm moving at least some way in a direction that you've got your whole life to do this you know there's no hurry really well (laughs) yeah the more that i live my life the more that i realize that perhaps i shouldn't discount the nature of making things not necessarily faster but at least, you know, it's it's difficult, actually. Well, it's, one, time, it's one thing to consider, yeah, for sure. But yeah. it's certainly not the only thing to consider. Yeah. Another piece of advice that I'd like to give, particularly to our younger listeners associated with this nature, notion of the future. Younger, is, meaning under the age of what? Uh, 25, say. Uh, okay. Is associated with the reliance on others. And this is something that I've certainly reflected upon and talked about in previous stonates. My perspective is, and it's probably more militant now than it has ever been previously, <laughs> that you cannot put any heavy weight, like you cannot put any part of your body moving forward on another person unless you have very tightly aligned perspectives. Yeah. And you can, because the my experience has been of, Almost everyone that I have worked with associated with noble ape, artificial life, all these kind of things. I mean, Heron, you're the you're the counterexample here, so I'd like to say congratulations for being the counterexample. Well, yeah, I've never found anybody that I trusted to go into yeah. business with. I but just I, figured I can't trust this I mean, person. Screw it. Certainly in terms of our collaboration, even though there are certain things which are clearly beyond either of our controls, you're yeah. certainly one of the more longer-term collaborative people yeah. that I have you know, done stuff with. No, if there's no money involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, actually. I mean, almost everything I've done, there's been no money involved in it. And still... And still, yeah. Still well, people can take a different perspective. And Yeah, but you know. we've got a, the best of all possible worlds here. You know, we don't have to agree. <laughs> I mean, I guess what I found interesting through the various collaborations that I've had, at least in the past 15 years, is when when the paths have separated... A lot of what I thought has been infrastructure and awareness that was created through this collaboration has dropped away pretty heavily. And certainly... I don't understand what that means. Okay, so I've referred previously to Bruce Dave. Bruce Dave is like the archetype associated with this. He and I worked together for a period of time. The body of work is still there. Bruce Dave never refers to the body of work. So it's almost quizzical for me because I still felt like I did the body of work. I was certainly doing actions there. I mean, Bruce similar to you in some regards, was turning up as another talking head. But, I mean, I think my efforts there are certainly, you know, referenced and interesting by a bunch of people, but Bruce Damer has not in any way, you know, promoted my work going forward and certainly hasn't been part of the promotion of our collaboration either. To a certain extent, to a little bit, I feel this associated with you. I mean, you rarely refer to Stone Ape. You don't point people to Stone Ape. People kind of discover Stone Ape through this thing. But with Bruce... No, this is your podcast. Well, you see, this is the way you view it. And <laughs> no. it's always... Yeah. Because no, you don't I have to I come here because any... I want to talk with you, Tom. Yeah. yeah. 
But it that also means you don't have enough. to take responsibility in the that process. Why does it have to be any more than that? Um, I think in terms of something that's maintained and continued, your devotees, and many of them have found this, although they get annoyed with me and then rage quit the Facebook group. <laughs> well, but, you know, there are all these complexities I here. I can't apologize for, for that. I mean, it's... I'm not asking you to. Okay. So, but in the case, in the case of a number of other folks, some who I've mentioned here, some who I haven't mentioned here, the concept of collaboration. I mean, it's interesting. I may have I've told this story at least once on a on a Stone Ape. I'll tell it again. I probably forgot. So. You probably have. <laughs> this thing is broadly in my mind viewed as the tale of the Pyrex dish. But what happened was. What are we talking about now? We're talking about collaboration, where collaboration fails and where collaboration ultimately breaks apart, and the legacy of these collaborations. Oh, okay. So, when I was recording the Biota podcast, I chatted with an individual for a period of time through the Biota podcast, and when I moved to the Bay Area, she came to Netflix and pitched me on something that she wanted to sell at Netflix, which was completely un- attached to what I did at Netflix, nor what I could do at Netflix. Then I had a Conscious in the Cloud series of talks that I organised for, I don't know whether it was nine months or what have you. I mean, most of the audio has gone in the Stone Ape feed, or people can go to the Biota podcast to hear the audio from those talks. And she was a participant in that as well. But again, her participation wasn't in any way aligned. In fact, very few of those talks were actually aligned, (laughs) associated with the stuff that I was doing at the time. I tried to seed it with some Noble Ape stuff periodically, but, you know, it was basically just a series of talks in roughly an area of of interest. And living in the Bay Area, she was geographically relatively close, and she invited me to a party, a dinner party that she was having. So my spiritual advisor and I went up, and my spiritual advisor made a cheese dip in a Pyrex dish that we had purchased in the UK that Pyrex no longer manufactured. A prized possession in my spiritual advisor's life. We went to this party, and within five minutes, firstly, my spiritual advisor wasn't actually <laughs> able to enter the party. I was pulled into the party with this Pyrex dish, put the Pyrex dish down, and was proceeded to be pitched by a bunch of guys associated with how I could help their careers, which was so alien to me. I saw my spiritual advisor over in the corner. She actually went outside. I left, and we fled after five minutes of being in this environment. And the pirate Without dish, the pirate Without the pirate dish, dish uh, which is okay. my responsibility yeah. in this. Yeah. Anyway, um, years have gone by since that occurrence, and I was contacted by this person a few weeks ago saying she started up another talk thing at her house. Her house is tiny for a start. And she wanted to get me back at this talk. So I <laughs> and does she still have your Pyrex she dish? She still does. So I raised the Pyrex dish with her immediately because I knew my spiritual advisor would like the Pyrex dish back. And she said, oh, no, that Pyrex dish has been lost. And I didn't even correspond with her associated with the meeting she was having. So she then contacted me in like three days' time saying she'd actually found the Pyrex dish and she wanted to return it to me. And I said, well, you know, that's great. But she still wanted me to go to this thing. And I said, look, we can't go to the thing. I'm sorry. We were. But I'd time. come by Thursday and pick up the Pyrex dish. <laughs> well, the thing about it is that I, I'm currently on call for work. So I said, look, I can't leave work through work hours, but why don't we come for, why don't we go for a meal? And then I realized the value of the Pyrex dish emotionally to my spiritual advisor is very great. My need to interact with this other individual, particularly because the interactions are never about me. Like, there's a respect there about the stuff that I've done, but the stuff that I've done are, are, is only about this other person enacting what they want to enact. It's not yeah, about me. Yeah, of course. It's about, well, but that's, yeah. okay, yes. So this that's is called like, dealing with humans. Well, <laughs> I, would, I would encourage our listeners that if you don't have a tight alignment, even when you do have apparently a tight alignment with people, particularly... It's probably all in your own head. Exactly. 
And many of these people that you will collaborate with, in the case of the people I've referenced, have a history where others have also made this like critical point through this. Well, they they do the same thing themselves. Well, yes, with you. I mean, they yeah. can explain it all from yeah. their perspective without question. <laughs> but I guess my point is, if you're projecting to the future. I would minimize collaboration. I mean, when collaboration comes along, it can be a wonderful thing, but maximize it for the period of time that it's there. And when after it is finished, particularly if the other individual doesn't refer to any of the collaborative work, just keep on moving. Well, make yourself the kind of person that is possible to collaborate with if you happen to find another one who is. It could probably be an amazing experience. Mm. I haven't experienced it, mm. but I imagine, I mean, I, I've seen the results when other people have collaborated. Yes. You know, and uh, it, I, it can be, I'm sure, an amazing experience. Yes. So become the kind of person. I'm striving to become that kind of person. Yes, yes. My uh, perspective per- is... Apparently, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> but, yeah, but- my perspective now, having had collaborative experience is that I need to return to a focus or at least establish a stronger focus associated with my own work. And time is an important well, I would go even further than that, not just your own, I mean, call, calling it my own work, man. It's your own purpose and being here. Mm. I mean, really, I mean, well, it, saying part- it that way, my, you know, that's one way, that's part of it, but it's bigger than that, isn't it? Well, it's, it's atomized. It's units are the work that I produce. In, in terms of other people, actually... Okay, in your language machine, that's what, how that word functions. Yeah, okay, I got that. Yes. Well, it's also a physics thing, right? Physics has units of work. Yeah, yeah, that's another way to look at it, So, too. yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I have that particular... I have some sense, I guess, I guess the way I think about my own life is that there's something I'm, I can do, mm. you know... And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that is. <laughs> mm. But there's some specific kind of thing I can put into the world. Yes. And that's what it's, what it's about. I guess. It's very selfish in, in one way, isn't it? Yeah, this, is about- actually, yeah, this is actually <laughs> a topic that I have written down associated with production. I mean, in terms of my work, I think of it very much associated with production. I mean, it's my own personal production, but it's like optimizing for production in these circumstances. And when I listen, you know, when I listen to other people's podcasts, I appreciate that's their production. That's something they put effort into, that they produce, that they deliver to an audience where I am one of the audience. But in terms of my own work, I think very much, and this comes from software, it comes from releases, it comes from physics, it comes from... But these podcasts are like units of work. Each podcast is consumed and discarded by a variety of folk. There are some people that collect the podcasts. They are a different phylum within this group of people. But the optimization in terms of producing a podcast on a periodic basis that people think about, correspond with, yeah. these kind of things is... And I've tried... How, how many people do you think there are who, who are actively engaged with us here? Oh, in terms of like listeners, or do you mean do you mean listening to every single one, or do you mean occasional listeners? Well, not necessarily, but I'd say more than occasionally. I mean, they may miss one. Well, I don't know. You tell me. Well, my perspective is that there is and most of the stuff that I've done, and I think Stone Ape is part of that as well. In terms of the folk on the Facebook group, there are probably a hundred people for every one that there is, and I think with Stone Ape actually, it might be slightly broader because I frequently meet people who have listened to Stone Ape occasionally but don't listen to every single one. And when I try to ask them more, some of them look at what's in the show notes, some of them listen to the first few minutes, 
There's a variety of factors. Some of them realise mm. through what the topics are through the show notes that this will be one that they'd like to listen to. Mm. People are spoilt for choice associated with podcasts, the volume of podcasts yeah. that are produced, and most of them are... In fact, are the people? Th- there are people who are podcast savvy, and there are people who are new to podcasting still. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine podcasting is not deeply into the world yet still, no, is it? It's a curious thing. I mean, my perspective, from my perspective, when I'm periodically interviewed, although this is frequently edited out of what's actually produced, I think podcasting is a far older form that many people appreciate. I mean, true, you know, it was college radio previously. There were various formats that allowed... I mean, you listen to... Yeah. What's the... Um, Roy of Hollywood. Yeah. So, you know, people have been out there producing curious audio that a certain group of listeners are passionate about for at least four... Well, probably six or seven decades if you go back to the early I'm radio. still having a chuckle on his name, Roy of Hollywood. Yeah. That's just such a great name. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, through this, this media has existed. It's just a majority of the folk who are adopting the media currently in terms of producing are very tightly focused on profitability. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. And I think... Well, but that... It's not everybody. It's some percentage of them, right? A lot of percentage than I've ever seen in terms of... Really, what percentage of... of, of, I mean, there aren't people out there just to... I mean, especially in the religion area, there Mm. must be people who are just fucking fanatics who just are there to put out... They have advertisers. Well, I mean, everyone's trying to support it, but I mean, if that's the only reason they're there, I mean... Well, I know. God, fucking capitalism. Yeah. No. Well, I don't see any solution to that except to kill capitalism. <laughs> well, you know? my perspective is, personally, that if I produce the best possible content I can within certain parameters as I see it as fit, that that should motivate. But if people are listening to a variety of podcasts, I mean, let's talk real numbers here. I think about one in ten podcasts now are started with no monetization perspective. But, but let me ask, you know, I know really nothing about I haven't studied this mm-hmm. at all. And I'm thinking, you know, what do people do? What do humans do in the evening? I, I mean, used to be when I was a kid, I mean, people went to work all day and then they came home and watched TV and mm-hmm. then punched the wife goodnight and mm-hmm. got up and went to work, you know? Outside and, of, and that's not the way it is anymore. Outside of elections, very... <clears throat> few people the the funding of television is really very curious the quality of television that's being produced is deteriorating very rapidly and actually as a media it is dying it's dying a slow death the elections pump money into television and aside from that obviously you've got various commercial sponsors that put money into television on npr as well as you know and pbs they get have commercial sponsorship as well they just oh, sure yeah yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, that's it's money. I yeah. mean, that's the game. And in contrast to this, obviously, you have things like Netflix, you have subscription services, you also have YouTube. And I think for the younger generation yeah. here, mid 20s down, YouTube is a primary means of actually, and oh. of course, there are all these other, you know, Instagram. Well, see, that's a huge things. difference. The yeah. difference between sitting there and having it fed to you mm. as opposed to having to find something to look at. Mm. Uh, but let's it, just is a big difference. Yeah, but even within YouTube, YouTube itself actively markets. I mean, it's true. It's completely different than sitting down and watching NBC's programming. Well, yeah, you can't, you know, when it's over, it's over. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not true. Now they, they start playing another one, don't they? Yes. Well, yeah, that's right. Saying, so it it yes. will keep going. So they've yeah. changed that because yeah. it didn't used to do that. That's no. something that's just happened recently. Yeah. 
No, the continue watching phenomena is well noted in terms of new media, and ultimately, I mean, Netflix was a you know primary starter of that. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting with YouTube is that YouTube itself, once you watch one thing, will advertise, for want of a better term, a sure. variety of other bits. Yeah, of other things here. to look yeah. at. Yeah. yeah. And most of so my- what, what, do you have any sense, or does, has anyone studied this? What percentage of people go home and watch TV? Or or Netflix or you know or movies or something as a, as opposed to who look at YouTube and explore the web and you know so if you think of Netflix in terms of family viewing if you think of a family group getting together and watching Netflix but isn't that what people used to do with television I mean yes I mean Netflix gives yeah. you a variety I don't want this to turn into a Netflix ad for full disclosure I no, work for no, Netflix yeah okay but, yeah no but Netflix it, is an important player here it's certainly an, it's and if stuff. you look at it in terms of actual numbers you're talking at any time in the US of tens of millions of people sitting down together watching Netflix if they have free tens time. of millions yeah. and how many millions of people are watching uh, NBC or C- you know the three big networks I think at CBS. most they're like 10 million or less I mean now they talk about 1 really? million viewers so yes the, the battle is pretty well over for television wow yeah. wow I didn't realize that yeah. so Netflix has actually got a higher or close Netflix is what what percentage I would say tens of millions, which I don't think tens, is arguable okay, okay, yeah, when you have yeah. family groups and these kind of okay, things. Okay, and and the three major networks we'll kind of scrape what? together maybe twenty million at most, but it's less. Okay, than, and, but it's clearly going down. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, who the fuck is going to watch television? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the information I'm ah. stating associated with Netflix is public information. It's given out through yeah. you know, all the yeah. shareholders and things, and yeah. I haven't given anywhere close to the specific numbers. If you then yeah. look at YouTube, it's yeah. also a substantial number as well. YouTube is changing, at least associated with the 20-somethings down, the way in which media is consumed. And I certainly enjoy, I mean, I'm a YouTube Red subscriber, I certainly yeah. enjoy YouTube. Although a lot of the content that I've liked has kind of dropped off and I now have to go and find new content. Yeah. I find myself watching more documentaries on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go there for specific things occasionally yeah. and, you know, uh, and that's, that's it. I, I don't, I just don't go there, you know, when I'm there, I'll, I'll see what's being offered. Yeah. You know, and uh, sometimes I'll follow it and sometimes so, I won't. So I specifically subscribe to YouTube channels. When I see content that I like, I, Subscribe to the individual, the provider. Yeah. And I mean, within this space, and I've talked about this fellow previously, there's a fellow called Casey Neistat, who was a documentary maker, who then moved <coughs> all his stuff to YouTube. And uh, I've had an opportunity to talk with Casey previously. And it's a fascinating area that it really is, again, effectively 10 years old, but is practically associated with the knowledge that's being generated through this space. You know, really, in the, the past three years have changed completely. And historically... Again, um, I can't even think of the fellow's name, but I interviewed a fellow who had for a period of time made a living from YouTube. YouTube changed the algorithms and it's very yeah. difficult to actually make a full time. Well, this is all YouTube. the beginning of the creation of a new world. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's going to all be up for grabs yeah. for probably another decade or two. You know, it's going to be crazy. I yes. would imagine it's going to settle out somewhere when we figure out how this shit actually works. Um, well, growth is an interesting thing. I mean, I think what will happen is the format will change and the format will change again and again and again. 
And you'll still have, I mean, this is the nature of social networks, you know, you still occasionally find people that have MySpace pages. If you look at the email addresses, <laughs> yeah. you still What's occasionally... What's going to happen with YouTube? I mean, I mean, not YouTube, but Facebook. I mean, can something else replace that? Or is it going to turn into a national, uh, you know, are we going to, what's the word, nationalize it? <laughs> replace I, the post office yeah. with Facebook, you know? I, I mean, I'm very interested in numbers. I really like the idea. In fact, it's funny because I don't track numbers with my own podcasts, except occasionally I look. But in terms of the things like Facebook, I think the compelling argument for Facebook has changed dramatically. Even while we've recorded Stone Ape, I've talked about this periodically. I'm I'm less and less on Facebook. In fact, mm-hmm. I find particularly the stuff that's going on in Paris, the political stuff that's going on in the US, I don't want to see this noise. In fact, as a, someone who creates no. content, and this I will say to the Stone Ape listeners... But you don't have to see that noise. No, no, let me make this point. As someone who creates content, the amount of content that is created by legacy television and news networks that is pumped into Facebook disgusts me. I'm actually, I'm thinking of advocating for a day where people only post independent content, or at least if they're aware of it, through Facebook. You know, but you don't have to look at that. I don't see that. I mean, you know, it's my choice to look at the news feed. Sometimes I choose to look at it because actually I find some interesting things there once in a while. Mm. But uh, mostly I don't. Mm. And you can just bypass that directly and see, and go directly to your own page and see if anyone is written to you. So I don't see what the big issue is for that. That's I, your choice. Well, yeah, I, I could just be on Facebook altogether. Well, shout that's right. To, that's another choice. Shout-outs to Joe the drummer who still listens to us and occasionally emails Hey, us. Joe, good. <laughs> Glad to hear you're around. Yeah, no, he emails me periodically. I forget about Joe, and then he comes back and he emails me and he gives me the thumbs up. So thank you, Joe. Okay. I guess I'm just lost in the – I mean, what I do on Facebook typically is find – I try to search for something that's interesting. Well, they're pushing the, their news feed on you. It didn't used to be that way. I don't remember ads. a couple months ago, it would just open up to my Well, you configured it that page. way, and then they eliminated it. Now yeah, it has right. Yeah, so I mean, now I, I have to just bypass yeah. that. As soon as it comes up, I just go to my page. Yeah. So I don't need – but well, sometimes – but like I say, I find some of that stuff useful. So, so I do look at the news feed once a day. You know, I just sort of go through it and see most of it's bullshit. Yeah, I've, I've created active communities on Facebook. I mean, Model Rail yeah. Radio and Bikini yeah. Model Railroaders and, and the Stone Ape page and the yeah. Mobile Ape page and the Biota page. Yeah. I mean, these are all communities that I've created. I feel some resp- – this is my difficulty with Facebook is I feel some responsibility to these communities. I mean, I have enough moderators on all the Well, maybe pages. you should put up a thing and tell everybody how to avoid this stuff. Well, I guess my broader perspective is the disgust that I feel on Facebook I need to use in a productive way. What and disgust? I mean, about Facebook? Because no, it's no, 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 no. Aside from the advertising on Facebook, the fact that I am connected, although I reduced the number greatly, particularly yeah. through the last political process in this country and in Australia, reduced the number greatly, but even with the number that I have, I'm still completely... Number of what? Friends oh, on friends, Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Through the newsfeed, I'm still bombarded by stuff that I find genuinely disturbing. I removed the you don't have to look at the news feed. Heron, I get something out of it occasionally. I do have to look ah, at it in order to get then, what I have. Yeah, okay, all right. So I mean, I, I understand, I but I mean, there's no point in whining about it. Well, no, you know? no, no, I'm not. <laughs> in, in, in explaining my dislike of certain things, I'm obviously saying that I'm spending less time through it. Yeah. But I think we have a broad enough community of listeners to Stone Ape that they can start also thinking about... I mean, I've thought very uh-huh. heavily associated uh-huh. with how I utilize Facebook. 
Yeah. And it's something that has changed over time. It's something where yeah. originally, as you are doing currently, although clearly you don't interact with them in, in like a news sense, I vastly reduced my friendship group. I think I'm going to vastly reduce it again yeah. with advice to people that they should follow me rather than, you know, us be friends on Facebook if they want the same quality of Bartolet content. Almost all the content I publish is public through Facebook. Ah, good. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. 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 So or you can create a, a, a page that doesn't allow people to join, you know? Well, actually, what what people have done historically that I've seen is that they've created their personality Facebook page and then they've created their personal Facebook page. Yeah. And I've also said to a bunch of people, particularly through the three phases of unfriending that I did roughly more than a year ago now, yeah. um, that, you know, we are connecting still through the pages that I created that you were friends with me through. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so, yeah the whole thing about... <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because when I when I announce all, all aspects of language, <laughs> well, me well. when yeah. I announce this, I'm going to probably have to point out that the people that continuously post single theme things through Facebook are probably the people that I'm least likely to maintain a Facebook friendship with. See, and, I don't even have a sense of what people post. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I, I like I, I skim it. I don't see much, but occasionally I see something kind of interesting, and, and I'll go for that. But I don't, I don't give the whole thing more than a minute or two unless yeah. I find something, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then I just go to my page <laughs> and see, you know, if anybody has said anything or wants to talk. Or yes. Something. So, but yeah, yeah. When I went to Australia last, it was a good opportunity to remove a vast quantity of people that I previously knew in Australia. I realized if they weren't interested in meeting physically. Probably shouldn't be friends with them on Facebook, which is strange, actually, because the folks that did go out of their way to meet, I realized were actual, you know, that we actually had meaningful interactions and they were the, probably the people that I wanted to keep connected with. Yeah, cool. Yeah, see, uh, well, yeah, I haven't had that opportunity except once, mm. you know, to meet people and uh, that worked out okay for me. Mm. You know? <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel any need to, to have a relationship. <laughs> with that. I mean, I do, but it's, yeah, I don't even know how to say that. I guess my perspective is I want to optimize the nature of my Facebook relationships. Mm, okay, and I want yeah. to do so in a very direct way where, and this was one of the things that I thought about associated with Kickstarter. Like if I was to put a project on Kickstarter, this is not put a project on Kickstarter, what group of my immediate Facebook friends would be interested in participating or promoting or being involved with the Kickstarter. Oh, okay, yeah. So you're defining friends very well, no, much I'm, or I'm, I'm using, rigorously. Yeah, I'm using a variety of definitions. Anybody. That was one of them. Oh, okay, and yeah. This is, well, yeah, there are many ways yeah. to just make that distinction. Yes, yeah, so that's, and that's totally up to you to make yeah. that distinction. There's an interesting group of my friends who are childhood friends of my spiritual advisor, and my spiritual advisor, you know, she was a deadhead for a period of time. She, like, had dreadlocks for a period of time. She was relatively, you know, out there in terms of her, you know, physical appearance and her musical interests and these kind of things. And she has a group of childhood friends, and in fact, relations as well, who really, and they've said this, really love their relationship with me on Facebook because they get the sense that their childhood friend married some eccentric, Australian British guy 
who's like very conscious and aware and, you know, writes this crazy ape simulation and works for Netflix. And these people have a very unique relationship with me on Facebook <laughs> because I kind of represent some kind of archetypal man of, like, clearly couldn't be an American, clearly very multifaceted. And they're glad that their childhood friend, you know, is married to this individual. And they yeah, write yeah. this explicitly on my Facebook yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're an interesting group because true, you know, they will post unlimited photos of their kids and various other things. But they're always interested in the stuff that I'm posting. They're always interested in some, some kind of collaborative discussion. You can't go wrong if people like you. Exactly. You know? It's just, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes it's a little embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> but what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny, actually, because some of them I met at my wife's grandmother's funeral, and that was kind of the spark that, you know, at least the family members but many of them were just childhood friends that have maintained some connection through that damn really nice wine glasses <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i mean uh what did i get did i get you a dvd last year um i got you that Wittgenstein DVD. Yeah, yeah yeah which was a bit of a fizzle did you actually end up watching it though Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I sold my old iMac, which had a DVD player mm. in it, to the to my the guy I rent rent from. So mm. that's in the house. I went over there and copied it to a thumb drive cool. and was able to watch it. Yeah, didn't I tell you that? Yeah, no, you did mention it at the time. Yeah. I just wasn't yeah. sure whether because I rediscovered the wine glasses I didn't send you, and it sounds like you're just in wine glass utopia. So to send you different wine glasses, well, these are quite adequate. I mean, yeah. um, have you broken any of them? No, no, shit, these are fucking indestructible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, that's the only, if I had to be picky, I'd say they aren't, you know, they're not real. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I thought they, they are real glass, although they may be less destructible than. Well, they're, they're, they're something that's quite good. Like I say, they're, they're really serviceable, mm. but, uh, and they're damn well made. But, but again, you know, the, when you look at it really closely, you can see it's, it's not. You know, like real crystal. <laughs> you know, do you still have your old wine glasses, or have they? No, those are gone. They're all broken and gone oh. away. And all I have now is these things that you sent me, and they're quite serviceable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yes, I've got. I'm, I'm coming up to that gift giving period again, and I've got to find another. And that was the year where I sent you the box of um, Sunset Blush that was like. <laughs> Do yeah. you still have any of that left? or? Oh, yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how it ages. Well, well, I think, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out because I, I eventually will get to it, or, or maybe not. If things go well, I probably won't. Yes. You know, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, that, was definitely, that was definitely the wrong gift. Yeah. Well, you know, gift giving is... Um, yeah, that's so, why I don't engage in it. It's is, too this tricky. Is, this is an interesting insight that my spiritual advisor has made with me frequently in particular. I mean, she makes it every year, but, you know, that I am particularly obsessed with gift giving, like giving the right gift. And it was something that came through my childhood that I was always given the wrong gift. Oh, and I yeah. thought, how much energy would it take to actually give the right gift? Oh, it takes year? a whole lot of energy. Well, that's where it gets but interesting. You have to pay attention. You yeah, have to know the person. You don't have to pay attention all the time. You just have to be paying attention to what irritates the person. If you can give a gift that relieves <laughs> an irritation, that would be a gift that would be well loved. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, you have to pay attention. You have to know, you know, what what's going on with them, and that's uh, beyond most people, apparently. Yeah, my youngest brother, who came to stay earlier in the year, I think. Yeah, 
I always get him books from the 1930s through to the 1950s, and he has mechanical, I mean, he has an automotive engineering degree or automotive design degree. So I can get him early books associated with planes, uh, engine types, this kind of stuff, which I find on ABE really easily, in particular in Australia, because obviously I don't want to send international postage. And he is really easy to give gifts for, but he also never sends me gifts. So I'm in this kind of quandary yeah. associated with relations that don't send gifts about whether I continue to have this enjoyment of sending them particularly eclectic gifts. Yeah. Or do, the, do you get any response uh, oh, yeah, on no, the my, gifts? My I mean, are, brother, are they appreciated? My youngest brother is very appreciative of the gifts. He has oh, a, well, then keep sending them. Hell, yes. He has a disconnect with like receiving gifts from me and sending me gifts. But the pleasure that he conveys in our conversations associated with what I've sent him indicate I probably will continue to send yeah, him gifts. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's enough, yeah. I would think, yes. But it's interesting because I take particular pleasure in specifically selecting gifts for people. And my wife says that this is obviously, you know, should never be expected to be reciprocated. But no, of also, course it can't be. I mean, it has to, if it doesn't come from the heart, yeah. it's not worth coming. <laughs> well, it's also interesting because I think my perspective is, as, as we've already discussed, it shouldn't take a lot of energy to find a good gift. And with you, it's particularly easy because there'll be things that kind of come up. I mean, there's, really? Yes. I mean, the, the glasses were just a no-brainer associated with something yeah, to get that, you. Yeah, that was a good one. But I, yeah. I would think after that, see, I'm thinking, what the hell would I buy me? Everything I'd buy me would cost at least $4,000. So this year, <laughs> this year, I guessed perfectly what my wife was giving me for my birthday. And I immediately said, please don't get it because it's not legal here. Uh, and she was very receptive to that. But it was funny because it was just like the first – she said she'd gotten me a gift. And I said – it's not a bow and arrows, is it? And she said, that was what I was going to get. And I said, don't get it. It's not legal in San Jose. A bow and arrow yep. is illegal? Yep. Any bow and arrow or just certain kinds of bows and arrows? No, it's it's not just the... Well, the bows and arrows are legal if you carry them basically like firearms to designated shooting ranges. Yeah. What I would, wanted to do was just put up some wood in the backyard because we have a long backyard and just yeah. practice archery there. Yeah, and th and that that is a that's thing. a no no. Yes, <laughs> and so through that, I thought that's well, right. You could actually get good. Yeah, <laughs> you I don't thought, want that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting actually because the first time that I've ever tried to like build firearms, which I did last weekend, was so much fun. I've never not had this amount of fun in like general activities. Oh, I have produced this shop is awesome. Yeah. Well, to, to have, like, large... My, my spiritual advisor came and took photos because I was having these large chains of sparks. Interestingly enough, and this is something through married life, we had a extended gas leak that went on for the literally until three weeks ago when the gas company came and finally turned off the last part of the leak. And we were playing whack-a-mole with the gas leak for a long period of time, just trying to get this gas leak fixed. We had various things tucked up, and no, the gas leak was still there. No, the gas leak was still there. So we've been living in the house for, I guess, a year and a half with continuous exposure to gas. And <laughs> my spiritual advisor noted that the stuff I was I'm doing... I'm surprised that that's legal. I mean, that they would al allow you to continue living in that until that got fixed. That's that's quite surprising. Yeah. Well... Yeah. San Jose, you will be surprised, I think, is the, the Wow, subject. yeah, the more I hear, the more I'm confused. <laughs> so, my spiritual advisor pointed out, if, as I did the grinding... You didn't have to pay any extra money for a special license to stay in the house? <laughs> 
My spiritual advisor pointed out that if we hadn't finally fixed the gas leak, I could have blown up the house as I was doing this metal grinding quite easily, which is quite an interesting thought, really. I mean, kind of a little bit scary. But uh, so anyway, it was a lot of fun. And it made me think I should be doing more stuff with my hands like this. I shouldn't be, you know, spending all my life in this digital consciousness stuff. I should be uh, out there grinding away metal from the Second World War. Well... Yeah, I have no need to play in that world anymore. Mm. I mean, yeah, well, really. You have your yeah. piano, right? Yeah. The last thing that you wanted to build with your hands, you have. Well, that, man, that just sort of showed up. I didn't have much to do with that. Well, true, I mean, but, you know, yeah, in terms yeah. of physical stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite content. Yeah, if, I, yeah well, I haven't thought about that in a while, but I'm looking at it right now and thinking, damn. The reason know? we talk every Friday is so periodically I'll remind you about the piano. Well, that's a really good idea, and I really appreciate it, because it really is a beautiful thing. And I don't know what to do next, actually. You know, uh, it needs to get a patent. Well, you've never, you've never done any research associated with prior art, have you? No, I haven't done anything. I just had the prototype made, and, and there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've given you various pizzas of IP yeah, advice yeah, throughout general yeah, conversations. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway, uh, nothing is uh, – well, I, I, that's just not high on my agenda right now. It's mm. there. When I die, they, they'll come in and discover it and turn it into the miracle that it is. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was about, I guess, my early 20s, when I came to the U.S. initially, I was very keen on patents in terms of getting them. Yeah. As, as a means of showing my inventive capacity. Yeah. And I have oh, probably less than you would count on two hands, but more than you count on one hand. Uh, patents that have been filed through my career. Um, yeah. Netflix doesn't do that, but uh, certainly prior companies got relatively excited. And in fact, it's quite curious because most of my patents relate to casino gaming, which is very, very strange because when we periodically go to Vegas, I can say, that's my patent. That's my patent. That's my patent. <laughs> so you get a check every year? No, for, it's, for it's, a curious, it's a curious law because I was working for a company at the time and basically... Aside from oh, working okay. with these systems, it was also associated with creating IP for me. I created, yeah. I don't know, 35 patent disclosures in a, a year, you know, it's like a record within the company. And, you know, they gave me a nice little award, but I was working for pay through that. And actually, legally, you have to get a little bit of money for every patent to show that the ownership has actually been conveyed. I think they gave it to me in those horrible prepaid credit cards which at the time Vegas was being flooded with illegal or, and, you know, there's some way where you can get prepaid credit cards where they don't actually have credit on them and scammers were selling them to people in Vegas. So the only place we could ever use them was Walmart and even Walmart suspected <laughs> when we turned up with these prepaid credit cards. So it's one of these curious things where, you know. We were once, actually on a couple of occasions, we were in a Walmart where someone walked up to us and oh, said, man. do you want $100 for $80? Buy one of this prepaid credit cards. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with this deal. And we were like, no. And then they'd follow us around and we were like, no, stop following us around. I think it was based on the number of groceries they saw in our cart or something like that. So we actually, we saw both ends of it. Firstly, it being applied to us where the Walmart employees thought, oh, they must be trying to scam us with these prepaid credit cards. I know they were perfectly legitimate. And also the scammers walking through the... I mean, you'd think Walmart would wise up to this. Well, truthfully, the second time they approached us, a Walmart employee kind of chased after them and did various things. The whole thing is just so ridiculous. You have to laugh at it. Really, you know, I mean... Well, 
unfortunately, its breakdown and <laughs> creating a reasonable world is even probably going to get nasty here. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. See, it, I don't yeah. – well, you got me in a thoughtful mood now. Well, you've got all these, you've got all these people, and this is what this is what irks me about Facebook is you see the language monkey army. Well, but that's that's always been there. It's ninety eight percent. That's it. Yeah, but they just haven't get had over megaphones it. until now, right? Well, they've just kind of lived. No, in their I know life. everything. You know, but neither did we. True. Very true. You know, but they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're all a bunch of fucking unconscious language monkeys. Who gives a shit what they think? Their shit's not worth anything. Mm. I guess when you talk about violence, when you talk about violence being enacted, when you see these governors oh, who yeah. don't understand anything about anything, you know, making claims and oh yeah, the, the presidential candidates universally <laughs> all about the bombing of Syria. You just realize that actually you you need to be focused on the bus. No, it, no this, the, the real know? change has to come from the hearts of children yeah. Yeah. over the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. That's, I mean, nothing else is going to make any difference that I can see. You know, I mean, a few adults are going to change. Some people can wake up, but probably most aren't. So it it's about getting them young enough to understand something about what we're trying to talk about here. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a meeting at work this week with a fellow who used to sit, we used to sit in the same kind of cube area, used the term the truth, and I immediately cut him off. <laughs> and said, no, Uh-oh. it's, it's yeah, the truth. Talk, that's not a good idea. Well, this is where it gets interesting. Be careful, be I'm careful. Starting, I'm starting to feel where if you don't stand up for stuff. What, no, well, you get, you just have to realize you're putting yourself in jeopardy. If you're willing to put yourself in jeopardy. Yeah, but you see, that's, that's the nature of my existence. My existence, my whole existence has been in jeopardy, Aaron. Yeah, okay. And well, if you're comfortable with that, go for it. I'll yeah. be glad to help if I can. Sure, you can't in these circumstances. <laughs> but, I mean, my perspective is if you're being paid for something... You know, it, you're right. It you're needs to be your intelligence yeah. and your ability to enact but with these kind of things. be more subtle in your expression of it, perhaps. Uh, I mean, it's m- difficult to be more subtle. Yeah. I mean, how... Oh, okay. All right, listen, never mind. Yeah. Do what you want to do. Yeah. I, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I'm absolutely. I want to hear more. I, I guess my perspective what happened? is. Well, it was curious. It was curious for a number of reasons because I was on call at the time. So when I made my point, I was immediately called to be on call. So I had to leave the room and do what I had to do through that process. And I realized yeah. it was. It, it, these things are always. They're always, as you say. There's like there are two particular perspectives. Like keep quiet. Keep doing what you're doing. It'll all be okay. <laughs> You'll get that paycheck. It'll be fine. And then That's on right. some level, you've got to realize that if you're not being paid for your, and at least I feel, if I'm not being paid for my analytical ability on some level, then, you know. Yeah, yeah. What am I yeah. doing? You got balls, though, man, if you can live by that. <laughs> I feel about this. this <laughs> it's easy to say. Let, let, let's let's <laughs> analyze this, actually, because being on call this week probably really saved my bacon, and this is one tale that I did want to put out in Stone Age. So the bar owner, if you remember, there was a bar owner who wanted to expand his bar. Yeah, yeah. He actually is part of a collective, a business collective, that has um, a, a certain ethnic group. Uh, where they're basically all organized and they have like schemes that are associated with tax avoidance. They have schemes that are associated with avoiding any penalties and licensing. Like there are no, there are no enforcers of licenses or enforcers of general standards in this area, just like there are no police. So have they you discovered this on your own? You should be a, a reporter for the local newspaper. Don't if get you talk to them. Anyway. 
So what I realized was that this bar owner, irrespective of how foolish and how ridiculous the whole situation was, including a business that literally backs onto our property, they're all organized. And they basically have a cash business scheme where they pay everything they pay is with cash. They don't buy licenses. They do things like there's a fruit business which delivers fruit to an unair-conditioned shed. The fruit comes in from Mexico, or some of the fruit comes in from Mexico. It's all very heavily organised. And there was a taco stand that operated there, again, all cash, no licensing, no health checks, nothing, because there's no code enforcement in the area. And they have performed like a collective of businesses. So this fellow was appealing, finally, (laughs) to get his stuff at the city council, and I was there to attend. Luckily... I was on call this week and I couldn't get there because I didn't leave work until after the proceedings had ended, thankfully. But I, my spiritual advisor said to me, you've got to be really careful because this individual is a collective. He has people, including the business that backs onto our property, where historically they've done things like put ladders up that basically look in over our back fence. And I've been able to go over and talk to them and they put the ladders down and these kind of things. But this is a relatively flimsy wooden fence that they, because their business relates to cars, which could very easily be knocked over. They could do a wide variety of damage to us because this is like an informal business collective. So thankfully, I was working late. I didn't, I recorded a short funk about this though because it was relatively real as I was starting to put all the pieces together that historically I had stood up at the local community meeting and made a very (laughs) swift series of arguments. You can go back and listen to earlier Stone Apes to hear that. But in this case, being in the city at the final thing where the objections were raised, being there in person and being identified by the business owners that had come, including the business owner that joins our property, probably wouldn't have been a good idea. And actually, it was one of these cases where I'm usually very outspoken, outlandish out there, associated with these things, particularly where I see lack of justice and lack of, you know, common sense, at least my perspective associated with that. And this would have been a situation, if I had been there, I would have made a number of points, which had already been made. Thankfully, the city did, you know, say that this business can't expand. A number of issues were raised that I was supportive of in my absence, thankfully, and nothing went forward. Really, this questions associated with whether this business should be in business, but that's secondary associated with the expansion. So I do reflect on the case that sometimes, even through what I consider my better judgment, I will put myself into positions of danger. Yeah. Um, large portion of this doesn't need to be narrated on Stone Ape, and I think there are certainly a number of apes and flows <laughs> through this. Uh, but yeah. certainly, you know, when I want to make certain things public, I'll make certain things public on a variety of, uh, yeah. you know, un- undiscussed topics, so to speak. But yeah, this was one of these situations where I actually realized, irrespective of what I thought my you know, my responsibility was just for my own general safety. And it's not just us. We have tenants between us and the back fence that connects to this business. When they start putting the ladders up, certainly my tenants were concerned about this as well. So I have to also respect the fact that we have tenants that hopefully will be renewing next year as well. Well, that's dealing with the caterpillar. It's the complexity of it. Yeah. 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 And you got to, yeah, yeah. This Sucks. business owner had also made a relatively explicit threat to me last time I was in a meeting with him. Oh, really? So, yeah. Physical? I mean, a physical let, violence? Let me explain what he said. He said to me, if you knew my business was here, you never should have moved to this neighborhood. Which is... Doesn't, oh, yeah, that's not... That, this neck could be interpreted a billion different ways. But if you're in front of a man... Well, yeah, the way I mean, which there's all sorts of the other menace stuff going these on. kind of things... Those words... Yes, the words... Thing. In and of themselves can be interpreted yeah. a variety of ways. Yeah. Being yeah. in this guy's presence and the way in which he said this. Oh, I understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And to which I responded, you're making my point for me. 
Uh, which, you know, got yep, me even But more. unfortunately, you didn't have it on video instead of... Well, you know, I mean, my... It, what's... Yeah. See, that's right. We ought to all become like cops. We ought to all wear personal cameras, mm. you know, medallions around our neck. And as I found at these community meetings, my perspective is never the perspective of the folks that have voted Democrat for their entire lives. Well... You know? I, I find myself at odds with most humans. Yeah. Uh, so, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... We are, we've recorded longer than recent periods, which is good, but we are in a period where we can start um, generally brainstorming and throwing ideas out. Is any topic, any idea, anything you want to raise at this particular point? Well, it's just the same old shit, you know? It seems to me that there's a stage beyond what most people call adulthood, mm. which I guess I would call epistemological maturity, mm. and that from that perspective, it's it's a whole new universe, you know? It's just like, well, it's, that's the difference between the caterpillar and the butterfly, I guess. Mm. And, so, yeah, I'll go ahead. An interesting topic. One of our listeners has started producing extended discussions, very much of the uh, stoner perspective, so lots of references to Gendo and your work. But I've actually started watching these YouTube Clips, which are typically extended walks that he has through wilderness areas. Oh, this with him is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kaylee's. Yes. <laughs> Austin. Yes. Austin, yeah. yes. I was trying to leave him unknown, but let's just name him explicitly. Well, I've, 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 you know, he's posted, you know, he's, oh, he's, he's posted, out there. Yeah, yeah, sure, he's out there. Man. I'm not sure whether he's posted on the Stone Out Facebook group associated with Yeah, he, yeah, he, he has. has. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. But no, I, I was watching one of his videos, and <laughs> the, Welcome, reason, Austin. <laughs> the reason I didn't state his name is that he described a series, in fact, I'm going to have to change what I say based on us actually saying his name. He described a series of legal run-ins that he had that basically took yeah. his time and his energy put him in prison for a period of time, put him through a variety of, like, government-sanctioned reprogramming programs <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And I just yeah. thought to myself, I'm, I... It's interesting when you say associated with, like, stating your... It's, a, it's amazing to go through all that and come out with the perspective that he has now. That just stuns me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, he's actually... I mean, what was interesting through the videos as well was that he's actually found some benefit through that. Yes, like he actually, I, yeah, he I, actually I, utilized this in kind of Gendo-esque yeah, fashion. So yeah, 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 it's awesome. I'm yeah. stunned. Like I say, I'm I'm really sort of in awe of Austin. Yes. Thank you, Austin. You're doing a great job. And I kind of reflected on my own life that I have been incredibly lucky. I mean, I'm always cautious about this. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm yeah, proactive, yeah. but the interactions with law enforcement in particular yeah. seem to me to be just really, really <laughs> perilous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think they were back then. <laughs> it wasn't quite as likely to get murdered well, as you are today by a police. Well, even being part of the system, <laughs> even being systematized through law enforcement associated with, you know, various petty prosecution or even waiting for prosecution and being, you know, imprisoned. Uh, you know, I never really even thought about it. I guess that's about being white in America or something. Yeah. But, but you know, it never... Never. At one time, I remember there was a traffic accident in Manhattan Beach, and for some reason, I was standing on the street corner watching this thing. I said something that one of the cops didn't like, and I don't really remember what I said, but he scared the shit out of me, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that was really the very first time when I realized, you know, you just can't say 
<laughs> whatever the fuck is on your mind in front of a guy who's got a gun, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a good lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because in this area we have virtually no policing and yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's one of these curious things where actually, particularly the older residents or the period people have lived here for a longer period are mm-hmm. really, and these are, you know, these are elderly Caucasian gentlemen. Yeah. Or like, fuck the police. Yeah. Like, seriously. And they... Well, they, they're getting out, aren't they? I mean, isn't that what's going on? What do you mean? I mean, people are moving. Oh, uh, yeah, to a certain extent, yes. But also, um, there's a phenomena of just general... Like, the community dislikes the police, not because they're here enacting police brutality... But they because they're not there. <laughs> just being just lazy like, and shiftless, you know? Yeah, well, there's just, you can't count on them. Yeah. They're useless. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually, because this kind of militancy I've historically considered associated with my generation, or your generation in some regard. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a very curious thing. Well, that's, that's interesting. Hmm. I mean, hmm. having lived here without police for such an extended period of time, all... And the way in which when I do interact with the police, nothing actually occurs. So what you have to do is really put a fence around your house. That's exactly what we're doing next year. Yeah. And up until then, we basically live in the in the upstairs of our house, and we have it locked and bolted, and then we have we've got like three <laughs> we've got three layers of defense basically. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we have an evening program associated with making sure. You know, the downstairs is secured, and then the upstairs is secured, and the joint between the downstairs and the upstairs is secured. I mean, if we were ever firebombed, there might be a problem, but we've got... We also have a series... I mean, my grandparents were like this. My grandparents lived yeah. in a relatively high crime area. It was relatively affluent, but the criminals in Australia, or Adelaide in particular, were smart enough to <laughs> they know all that had they... cars. <laughs> yeah. They actually got to the affluent areas, and that's where the break-ins happened. Well, in... well yes, you're a fucking idiot if in... you don't. In fact, one of my favorite stories is when my grandmother wrestled the burglar to the ground and basically beat him sufficiently that he started crying, and then she offered to make him a cup of tea. <laughs> and he swiftly left after a few sips of the tea. You're kidding me. This no, is, this is a true story. Look, my grandmother was oh, my grandmother shit. was a frontier woman. She uh, used okay. to shoot rabbits and stuff. I mean she wasn't yeah. she wasn't taking any nonsense from some burglar. And she said, you know, there are drug programs, there are things you could do, you don't need to steal from old ladies, and he was sobbing by this stage because he you know, she also had heavy cast iron pans that she had utilized to you know, make sure this fellow wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. And he eventually, he had a purse, which is why she fought him particularly violently. And it's amazing because, I mean, she broke her hip, she broke both her hips 10 years afterwards, so it's amazing she didn't get, uh, you know. Mm. But anyway, so, <laughs> and they had a procedure associated with locking up the house into various compartments. So, yes, yeah, that's, you know, my grandparents' experience of living in a relatively affluent area where the burglars also knew about that. Hmm. So, uh, any other topics? There are so many, you know. <laughs> but there's only one, I guess. Do you know what that is? Uh, it's associated with language monkeys, the language machine, and mm, how the no, voice inside no, it's your bigger head. Than that, bigger than that. The voice inside your head is not you. No, 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 bigger than that. The voice inside your head is not you? Is not big enough? No, not clearly big enough. Not even close. Well, over to you, Heron. <laughs> That we are at a turning point in the uh, development of Earth itself into a conscious entity of some sort. That Earth is a living and a and becoming conscious organism, and we are part of that. 
And it's all happening right now, real fast. And with that, Heron, I think, uh, yeah, next Friday, looking very good for another discussion. Okay. I'll talk to you then. Take care. Good night, Tom.